when you first got to the varsity football team at WT White, who was the first person to kick your butt? Or what was that welcome to varsity moment? Well, I think, James, uh, welcome to varsity moment. We we played a JV schedule the first year at WT White because a brand new school. Right. And the second year, we started playing varsity. And it was the second or third game we were playing Adamson High School. And uh, they had a defensive tackle named Steve Bradshaw. Uh, Bradshaw was about 6'4", about 210. He went actually both ways. He was a center, and I think he, he made first team all city in Dallas that year at center. But he was a pretty damn good defensive tackle, too, and yeah. actually went on and started at Rice for several years. Uh, so he was 6'4", 210, and I was 5'8", and about 160 pounds. So he pretty much kicked my ass. And that was a, that was a welcome to real varsity football, 4A football in Texas. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind, and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head. Lost my mind, insuring them, I'm just fine, I'm good enough But you be told I need some therapy Initially ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy All right, welcome to another brand new edition of the Team Player Podcast This is episode number 34 Stamp your passport You know, that this guy is in Texas now, but he has an international pedigree he is, he is our first guest from north of the border We have a native Canadian here on our show tonight, he's also an also he's also an Austin College kangaroo. So I know all of our kangaroo fans listening out there, you're going to really enjoy this episode. Such a unique background, really. Yes, he did coach for a time in in, in British Columbia and Canada, but his career spanned so many other things, including uh, the private sector, photography, officiating, and so this is a really uh, special guest. I've known him for a long time. He's a fellow Austin College kangaroo. He's just was been real pivotal in my career. And I remember when I was coaching, we would always be exchanging emails back and forth. But it, it is my honor to welcome to the Team Player Podcast, Keith Johnston. Thanks, James. Nice to be here. All right. And if you guys are enjoying the show as much as I am, just again, please leave that five-star review wherever you're listening. It takes 10 seconds if you know, on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Just click click the five stars. That helps more people find the show. As we get more ratings, our name's going to pop up when people search for sports podcasts so more people can hear the stories uh, just like we're going to hear today from, from Keith. And other things you can do, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm your host, James Kopaleski. You can follow me on Twitter at Coach underscore Kovo. That's Coach underscore K-O-V-O. You can hit the subscribe button in your podcast, and then you're going you're gonna to get a new episode of the Team Player Podcast every Sunday at 2 p.m. And, yeah, just thank you for supporting the show, and I'm ready to dive into this. Let's, let's talk about your background, Keith. Again, you it's it's a unique background. You're our first guest. You were born in Canada. Uh, your family, you're originally born in the Toronto area. And then when you were four right. years old, your family moved to Calgary. And then at, at, when you were 11, you moved down to Texas. So let's just start the, the Canadian portion, you know, before you moved to Texas. What, what was that like? Do you remember Toronto at all? Or do your memories kind of start in Calgary? Uh, I do remember a little bit of Toronto. I, uh, I remember the neighborhood and, and some of my friends growing up in Toronto when I was, you know, three, four years old. Uh, uh, and then... You know, I made several trips back to Toronto over the years. So I mean, Toronto, yeah, is my, my hometown, I guess, officially. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and then when I moved to Calgary, uh, it was a great experience because there were probably 12 or 15 kids on our block about my age. And uh, so we, you know, the only football experience was kind of sandlot football at the time. Yeah. And my dad took me to a few of the Stampeders games. Uh, in fact, Joe Cap was the quarterback for the okay. Calgary Stampeders back then. And so yeah. I got to see him uh, when he was the quarterback for the Stampeders before he moved south to Minnesota. Yep. And then, and then so, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, then we moved to, to Dallas in 1960. Yeah. And so what was that like? Was it a, was it a huge culture shock or, you know, I, I find it interesting. Uh, Brett Sniffen is one of our former guests. He's from Waterloo, Iowa. And now he coaches in Belton, Texas. And, and those seem far apart, but he said, Hey, honestly, Belton, Texas reminds me of my hometown of Waterloo, Iowa. So sometimes it's not as different as we think, you know? So I'm curious for you leaving Calgary, coming to Dallas, was it a culture shock or was it, is it, was it more similar than maybe we would think? Uh, a lot of similarities. I mean, it was a culture shock, uh, you know, adjusting to the heat, uh, mm, things sure. like that. Uh, it was one of the interesting kind of funny story. My, my brother and sister and I used to walk to a couple of miles to a swimming pool and we were walking one day and, and there were two or three kids started bullying us mm. um, and calling us names, things like that. And the interesting thing was a couple of years later, one of those kids was my teammate and, uh, and the other kid, uh, used to kick his ass in football, but he was a year older, but <laughs> I kind of got revenge for the bullying. I don't know if they remembered the bullying, but I did. <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> oh man, that's a great story. See, you kind of grew up, you're, you're, you're Canadian, you come down to Dallas, but you're now you're starting to acclimate. You're starting to fit in, you're getting into sports and you eventually you, you go to WT white high school there in the Dallas area, the Longhorns. And your head coach was Roland Hallmark. And unfortunately, he passed away last year. And y'all still talked on the phone once a month up until his death. So obviously, you were very close, you know, with Coach Hallmark. So just just describe how much he meant to you and what it was like playing high school football for W.T. White. Uh, you know, that was an incredible experience working, playing for him. Actually, I had him as a coach for five years. Because mm. they built Marsh Junior High and they sent him over to Marsh to be the head coach at Marsh. And uh, he brought over a coach named Howard Evans um, to be the offensive line coach. And then when they built White, they moved Coach Hallmark and Coach Evans up to White. So I played for both of them for five years. And, you know, I, he, uh, we, I used to organize reunions over the last 15, 20 years for, for Coach Hallmark. And we'd have 10 or 15 players show up. We all had a great deal of respect for him. And I think the one story, James, that, that sticks out about me was uh, grade nine. Uh, we had a really promising season, uh, a lot of hopes going into the season at, at Marsh. And we lost our first game and tied our second game. And we were getting ready to, to uh, it was Monday morning after that second game. And I was sitting there with a bunch of players on the football, you know, my, my teammates, you know, we were stretching and whatever, getting ready. And Coach Hallmark walked onto the field and sent somebody over to get me so i ran over to him and and uh and he says keith he says i just want to in a few minutes we're going to get the team together and we're basically going to chew the team out for the poor performance in the first two games mm. and he says i just want to let you know that what we say doesn't apply to you you've mm. exceeded our expectations you've done much more than we we uh, expected so when you hear those words we're not talking about you so i ran back to where my teammates were and I had so much adrenaline going through me. I mean, it was incredible. And by the time I got back there, I was sprinting. And then I, 
I had all this adrenaline and I, I got down on the ground. And I started doing push-ups, so, you know, to get rid of all this energy. Yeah. And one of my teammates said something that, that really impacted my whole life because it, it deals with motivation. And he said, boy, he must have really chewed you out. And I thought, no, he didn't. He did if just the he opposite. <laughs> right. <laughs> he did just the opposite. But uh, he was a hell of an influence on my life. And when I ran into him again, 20 years later, you know, we reconnected and, and stayed in touch for you know, another 20 or 30 years. Uh, quite an influence, yeah. Yeah. And you also, in that same breath, you mentioned coach Howard Evans was, was just as important in your development. So do you, anything you want to say about coach Evans and your memories of the, Oh, he was, he was a hell of a coach. He had, he'd gone down. He wasn't, you know, he was about five eleven, about 200 pounds. And he'd gone down to the university of Houston after he played a couple, after he'd spent a couple of years in the Marines. And apparently he kicked ass when he got down to the university of Houston, he made all conference two years in a row, uh, mid linebacker and center. Um, and he was quiet, tough. Uh, you didn't want to get him upset because he would throw a forearm shiver into you and knock you, <laughs> knock yeah. you to the ground. Um, but uh, Coach Hallmark used to tell me that, that he was probably the best technique coach, uh, offensive line technique coach he'd ever seen, and uh, which probably proved to be true because I, I was so, you know, had a lot of success in college. But uh, his son used to run around the field, was only about, you know, 10, 11 years old. And then years later, his son ended up being the head coach at White, Joel Evans. And uh, his coach at a lot of different schools here in North Texas. I actually uh, went to a high school playoff game with Joel uh, last fall. And uh, we, we talked about his dad who passed away quite a number of years ago. But hell of an influence on my life. Yeah, you know, and this that story you told about how, you know, the, the team was getting chewed out, but you were kind of standing above and beyond for your, your effort level. And then just being so, so much adrenaline that you sprinted back to, uh, you remind me of one of my former inside linebackers named Jay Fan, And he ended up getting a preferred walk-on to play football at Rice University, similar to, uh, uh, to your guy from Adamson there, um, Steve Bradshaw. So they, they're both Rice Owls. And Jay was that kind of kid. You know, you know that old cliche that, that they would run through a brick wall for you. Yeah, Th that is true of Jay Fan. I mean, Jay was not—he was fearless and he was loyal to me, and he—he he just worshipped the ground that I walked on for whatever reason. <laughs> I, he, that kid loved me, and I loved him. But anything I asked him to do, he would just do it so hard. And he was—he was the kid at practice that would keep giving himself stingers and hurting himself and knocking himself out of practice. And we had to say, Jay, we need you for the game. <laughs> Stop. You know, go, it's, this is a walkthrough, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so is, is that the way that I'm describing Jay, is that kind of the type of player that you were? Does that sound, does it ring a bell or? I think so. Yeah. I, I had to make up for my small size with extra effort. Uh, you know, I worked, I think I worked out harder in the off season and, and came in in better shape, but, but uh, I had to, I always felt like I had to push harder because I was smaller and, and coaches and other players used to always remind me you know, that, I, that uh, I was smaller than them. And, uh, but I think that was, that probably gives a good description. You know, one other thing I want to ask you just to set the stage for listeners, as far as the time period, you mentioned, uh, you know, coach Evans, the middle linebacker center combination and throwing a forearm shiver. So, th you know, th these are things that you don't see in the modern football so much. So what year was it that you, what, what years were it that you were at, at uh, WTY? When did you graduate high school? I graduated high school in 1967. 1967. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very and cool. I was explaining to somebody the other day about how, and, and he, it was incomprehensible to him. I said, he was an offensive lineman. We couldn't use our hands. 
we uh, we had to block with our you know our, yeah. our hands up against. We used to grab our jerseys so that, that we wouldn't get called for holding. Um, and now you know you can use your hands all over the place. And <laughs> absolutely, I even remember like when I was very young that they would still sell those kind of pads that covered your entire forearm at sporting goods stores and things, you know, like yeah. this is before I was playing football, but just as a very young child. And so that's how you would describe it. Cause you said you had to block with your forearms essentially. Oh yeah. Yeah. We had that. I mean, of course the linebackers all had them on because they mm. would fend off the, the, uh, the blockers with their forearm. And uh, you know, it was actually, it was an interesting when I was coaching in Canada, I was trying to teach these kids use the forearm and it was like, I was talking Greek to them. I mean, sure. like, wh- why, why do we want to do that? You know? And I said, yeah. Well, you know, to get get them off your body, you know, keep them yeah. off your body. And uh, it was really strange that, that that's a concept that they don't really embrace nowadays is that, that forearm shiver. Yeah, no no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I remember we would not quite teach the forearm, but I would teach like kind of using your bicep and shoulder, but in a similar manner, like what you're saying to my yeah. inside linebackers to just thud up on a guard and get them off and shock them and get not let them get their hands on you. So I agree with you 100% coach. And to set the stage, you described so let me let me comprehend this again. So it sounded like from what you were describing, freshman ninth grade year was actually still part of junior high at the time. Yes, yes, back okay. then it was. Uh, back then it was. Grade, so you you began seven, eight, and nine. Yes, sir. So you began white high school as a sophomore, but then you said your first couple games of your schedule was JV, your sophomore year, correct? And then you played no, a couple during um, your sophomore couple varsity or no, the the first year at white, we had a, a combination. We played primarily JV schedule. But we played uh, Duncanville's varsity, mm. uh, and we played uh, South Garland. was a brand new school. They started the same year. That was our first game at White was against South Garland, um, and then we played Brian Adams JV. We played uh, Kimball's JV. We played uh, Thomas Jefferson's JV, and there was whenever whenever it, you met against Adamson and, and Steve Bradshaw, was that a varsity game or was that, that a, was a varsity game? That was, and that was your sophomore year. year you, you played against him. Uh, my junior year. That was your junior year. Okay. So yeah. by junior year, was it a full varsity schedule or are you yeah. still playing? Full, okay. Full varsity schedule junior year. So I find this interesting coach. Cause I've had several guests that have been a part of a brand new program. Like you have Ben Moran episode seven, another Austin, a much younger Austin college alum than you and I, uh, but he was he was a part of the new Tomball Memorial High School that split off, uh, you know, from from Tomball High School. They started just like you. They started with just juniors. Another one of my guests, Zane Dotson, was at Tra- Fort Ben Travis High School. They didn't play varsity until they had seniors, just like my teams at Ridgepoint yeah. did. And yeah. so it, it was hard on those players because a lot of those guys were good enough to play varsity, but they only got one year of varsity play. You see, you see what I'm saying? So my my question yeah. to you is. You experienced playing as a junior. I've gotten conflicting reports. Ben Moran said he liked playing as a junior. He liked having just juniors on varsity because then the next year there was so much optimism. Coach Sniffen said, no, the way to do it is you want to have just seniors because, you know, if you go in there with just juniors, you're going to get physically you know, overwhelmed and, you know, you could have some problems there. It's better to start with seniors. I'm curious what your thoughts are. If you're starting a brand new football program in Texas, is it better to start varsity with just juniors or is it better to wait until you have a senior class to start varsity play? I think it helped us a lot. I mean, we didn't win a lot. We got, we got beat up a lot, but I I think it helped us a lot. Um, You know, the next year, the second year, the first official varsity year when I was a junior and we did have some seniors on the team, but you know, unfortunately 
we broke away from Thomas Jefferson High School and they gave the football players an option of staying at Thomas Jefferson mm. to play out their year or, or moving over to White. So we didn't get the, you know, everybody that was eligible that year. But, you know, it, it gave a lot of us some varsity experiences as, as sophomores. Um, and then we came in, you know, juniors and had a few seniors in the team. So it, it gave a lot of us a lot of experience. Um, and, you know, it was tough, but as you and I probably know, and I've heard you talking on, on your, uh, your podcast last week, it's, it's not all about winning and losing. It's, it's, it's the development of the kids. You know, I actually ran into a former teammate that, that quit football his sophomore year, uh, and he was criticizing Coach Hallmark because of his, his one-loss record. Mm. And I said, you miss the point completely. You know, a, a coach doesn't get evaluated strictly on a one-loss record. Uh, and uh, it, it's got to be fun. It's got to be developmental. It's got to help build lives. And uh, so, yeah, we had a tough the first few years because we didn't have a lot of seniors on the team, uh, but we grew a lot. And and uh, I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything. Totally, that 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 kind of strikes a chord with me because I, I remember in high school some of my teammates questioning the coaching, the play calling, our win loss record. We we were three and seven both of my years in high school, my, my two varsity years, my junior and senior year. And I just, I, I didn't see it that way. You know, I was just like, you know, our coaches are great. We have, we have a great off season. We're prepared. We're our, we're, our, our play, our scheme is sound. We we're not, we, it's us. We're the play. We're, we're yeah. the ones out there. We didn't get it yeah. done. That, that's how yeah. I always felt. I always felt that way. Um, and that makes sense that a player like your, your friend or former friend, you know, that quit the team was kind of looking for excuses. So I, uh, kudos to you for even at that young age, kind of, standing up to that uh, that shows a lot of a character on, on your part for sure and then i'm curious thomas jefferson high school i just definitely heard of wt white I, i've not really heard of jefferson does that does that school continue to exist and play football or did it did it yeah thomas jefferson high school is being rebuilt it got totally destroyed a couple of years ago by a tornado okay i think so i remember you, hearing something about that you haven't heard about thomas jefferson in two or three years because of that my sister was is three years older than I am. She went to Thomas Jefferson and graduated from Thomas Jefferson. Um, so we play, I mean, they, they were a big rival because, you know, we, I went to church with two or three guys that played for Thomas Jefferson. You know, a lot of us, you know, interacted with a lot. We went to elementary school with, you know, kids, be, but because of the district, but they were a big rival, but um, I'm not sure where they stand as far as rebuilding that school, but that uh, it got blown away completely flattened. Uh, so, so fascinating. And I, I look at the map and I, I just, I, I'm a native Houstonian, as you know, so I, I don't yeah. know Dallas as well. I was in Sherman for five years. So I, I know a little bit, but I'm looking at the map and WT white it's, it's due North of downtown. It's kind of right inside the 635, you know, loop there. Right. And I just find interesting about you. You mentioned Adams high school. Wow. That, that is right there near downtown Dallas. Yep. So yeah. really cool, you, you know, unique location for a high school right there in the heart of the city. So just, it's just, kind of, I always am, am interested in those kinds of things, Keith, you know, but yeah. I'm curious about that rivalry. Cause I talked to Ben Moran whenever he split off the Tomball, the new Tomball Memorial and they played the old flagship Tomball. And that first year when they were just juniors, Ooh, he said Tomball put a whooping on them and made them yeah. like it, you know, <laughs> from the first yeah. half, just complete domination, a lot of trash talk the next year, Keith, they went down to the wire. I, I believe the game went to overtime and the new kids on the block won it in overtime. Yeah. They, they actually made a tackle. Cool. I, yeah. I think when the uh, Tomball was going for two to stop them. 
you know, and win the game in overtime. So I'm curious for you, whenever you, your junior year, when you finally got to on a varsity game, take, take on Thomas Jefferson, how did that go your junior year? And then how did it go your senior year? We, uh, we lost our junior year. Mm. I think it was six, nothing. It was a close wow. game. Wow. Uh, we, the first year at white, we played their JV and we beat them. Um, the next year we lost, but the, the last year we beat them 21, 14. And that was a big victory, uh, but a hell of a rivalry. The, the, the actually looking on over to basketball, the first year uh, our basketball team was forced to play a varsity schedule. Uh, the football team, we got a break, but the basketball team didn't. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson went to the state championship that year and we had a brand new team with no seniors on it. They beat us 113 to 32. Wow. <laughs> and the coaches in the city jumped all over to TJ for that. For yeah. Beating a you know, brand new school that bad. Yeah. But uh, one of the most exciting games I ever saw, and I think they ended up losing it by two points because our senior year, we, wow. we came within two points. I, I wasn't playing basketball, but I was at that game. Sure, yeah. To come back from having beat up 113 to 32 to our senior year coming within two points of beating them was uh, very you, emotional. That is incredible, Keith. That story right there, and, and you know, I don't know if, if you know Mark Parrish really well, but he's a big yeah. Austin College yeah. alum. I, I always jokingly refer to him as the Austin College historian. Uh, like you, he's a writer, you know, and so he's, he's he publishes his Rue Tales and uh, puts them online for us to, to view. And I, I'm, I'm smelling a Rue Tale challenge because that story of the Jefferson basketball team against W.T. White, the 113, the 32, and then the next year losing by two, I would love a Rue Tale about that because that's fascinating. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that that could be a movie Good story yeah very, yeah very very cool stuff there and i'm just curious you know i've had so many guests from different generations you played in the 60s you know i have guests that are now in their early 20s you know now beginning their coaching yeah. careers you know uh, ben moran on his episode talked about a lot of trash talk on social media that was something that didn't even exist when i was a kid i know it wasn't around when no. you were a kid playing football <laughs> yeah. in the 60s but in, in my generation, I had some guests um, like Cyril Ojeda and Jimmy Hammond. They played football in the 90s in Pasadena area here in Houston. At that time, it was a little bit different, too. There was a lot more things like, te you know, toilet paper, TP in somebody's house and, you know, taking the other mascot and, you know, make burning it, you know, doing a bonfire, those kinds of things. So there were some fun things in the 90s that, that are no longer done, you know. But I'm curious in the 60s. What was it like, right? There definitely wasn't social media, but were you guys still doing some of the burning the other team mascot or, you know, throwing toilet oh, yeah. paper on? What, what kind of stuff were you doing to get kind of fired up for the game? Yeah, I mean, I don't didn't personally get involved in toilet paper in people's <laughs> house, but there was a lot of that that went sure. on back sure. then. Uh, and there were, you know, the uh, uh, graffiti on, on water towers, on, on things like that, you know, on fences. There's right. a wall... There's a wall on Forest Lane in, in Dallas. And uh, we used to drive down Forest Lane to get to White from my house, and, and a lot of people did. And it's a wall, one of those walls to kind of protect the neighborhood from the sound. Mm -hmm. yep. And there used to be all kinds of graffiti written on that wall, you know, and particularly before games and, and so forth. And then sometime, I think when we were still there, the school got the idea of let's make that into, you know, an art thing. Right? you know, really nice art. 
And so the students at, at W.T. White started painting that wall. The wall is still there. And every year they paint it and, and they do beautiful things on it. You know, no graffiti and uh, scenery and, and flowers yeah. and, and animals and things like that. But it, it went from being where everybody posted their graffiti to, to something that people talk about as a, as a, you know, a beautiful kind of an art form along Forest Lane there in Dallas. Um, but that, like I say, back then it was graffiti. It was toilet paper. And, sure houses and things like that you know and I, I i think that's a great idea and i've always thought that keith you know i, I live i live in the heights area of houston which you know i know you've, you've spent a lot of time in houston yeah. so you, you know kind of and so i'm near the city so yes i do see areas where i see graffiti and i've always thought that like instead of trying to erase it or you know paint over it because they're going to do it again just let the artists come out and turn yeah. it into something beautiful so i i just yeah. kudos to, to to uh white for doing that i think it's a great idea to have an art wall for the students so yeah. a really good idea actually now as far as other sports of course you know the football we've talked about um you know you were you were a very undersized offensive lineman i i feel like i was that way you know in, in my day graduating 2002 i was about i was about 6'1 220 you know and it shows how the the game has changed because you know you were you were a smaller much smaller than that but it was a different time you know, but both of us were undersized offensive linemen. So both of us were relying on strength, leverage, technique, aggressiveness, quickness. I mean, yeah. I, I'm with you. You and I were just doing the exact yeah. same thing. But you also, you you did something I, I was not able to do. You ran the quarter <laughs> on the track team. I, I threw the shot. I threw the shot. That's what I was doing. I threw yeah. the shot and go barbecue with my my throwing buddies. But um, so what was that like being an offensive lineman slash quarter miler? <laughs> you don't hear that one too often, you know. It was it was kind of I remember I think it was uh in junior high. We in junior high we were in Marsh. Uh we had a good season, but because we had trouble at the beginning of the season, we ended up uh we beat the team ultimately the uh, our arch rival, Kerry Junior High, which fed in Thomas Jefferson, we beat them the last game of the season. They went on and won the city championship. Uh, and then the next spring, we were kind of competing in a, a football track. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, me and the offensive tackle, uh, he ran ran track too. And the, the coach for for Kerry was said, "No wonder you told our coach, no wonder you beat us. You got two kids like that, or offensive linemen that you know they're running track and beating everybody." But it, you know, it, it kept me in shape. My dad ran track. My brother was, younger brother was really good. Uh, he, I think, still holds maybe some records at Austin College, although Austin College doesn't have a real strong track program. But he ran the 220 and 100, and, and uh, he actually ran a 4640. Mm. Uh, was a wide receiver. Uh, but I think just, you know, my dad ran track. It was like me and his family, and, and I, I loved it. Uh, you know, and then, I think I told you to mention the story where I uh, in, uh, got up to Austin College and we had an intramural track track meet. And uh, I wasn't going to participate, but my, uh, my fraternity brother said, no, 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 you know, we, we need five guys to run. He said, I think I can come in second, and, but I'm not going to get any points if only two of us running. So he talked me into running it and I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll run it. So you got five guys. So I practiced that week and I ended up winning the, <laughs> winning the race, which surprised him, but I that's knew awesome. how to run a quarter you know it's funny keith you'll you'll enjoy the story when i was a, uh i think i was a freshman or a sophomore maybe in high school as a jv track meet i was a thrower they did this thing called the big man relay you know a little sub varsity yeah. meet and so that what it was basically the the non-runners the throwers we we would run the four by one <laughs> so we got to we got to borrow spikes from our from our running buddies and work on our exchanges of the baton and and sure enough my little team we won that thing 
And, you know, of course, you know, there were medals given out to all the other events, but they're, you know, and it'd be inscribed, you know, 400 meter dash, 800 meter run, but there was no actual medal. So they actually gave us a bag of oranges. <laughs> they gave us a bag of oranges, Keith. And the next day we walked around school with our oranges. Like we thought we were just the pride of the school, man. We were yeah. so proud of ourselves to, to win that event. So just, just love it. And, you know, we talk about this on the show a lot. Kids, I worry about sometimes nowadays such high specialization amongst outside coaches maybe outside of your high school coaches it's club coaches trainer whatever whatever just trying to really pressure kids into just play year-round baseball or do this do that and the other i'm a big fan of the multi-sport it sounds like you were it, that worked well for you having that track in the off season you know and i any thoughts on that i mean was that something i'm sure back in your era it was there wasn't really specialization, I imagine, right? Like everybody played multiple sports or did you start yeah. seeing some specialization? It, 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 it kind of started, I remember our year, because we had a, a couple of my good friends who played football the first year at, at White. And uh, we had a basketball coach, actually an Austin College grad, uh, who was a hell of a coach. And, and uh, he said, he approached those two guys. One was a six foot four center and the other was a six foot two guard. And he said, you got to pick a sport. Wow. Uh, okay. And okay. so that started our year and it was kind of, you know, it was new to me because in junior high, you know, everybody played two sure. or three sports. And uh, so for him to request that specialization, you know, it was kind of shocking. I, you know, he had to work it out with coach Hallmark because coach yeah. Hallmark, you know, was going to lose a tight end and a, and a backup quarterback. Um, but uh, he knew that in order to, for his basketball program to be successful, they needed to be there the whole season. They couldn't come in, you know, in late November and, and, uh, and be competitive. So it was kind of a blow to us to, to me to see that, you know, moving up from junior high, but, you know, I guess it kind of started back then. Uh, I, I really thought multiple sports and there were some uh, legends in Dallas that, you know, there was yeah. one guy that went on and played, he was a quarterback for the Kansas city chiefs for a number of years, but he played four sports in high school, South Oak Cliff high school. And uh, Livingston was his last name. Uh, and I remember, you know, his records and track, his accomplishments in basketball, and he was mm -hmm. quarterback on the football team, you know, an amazing athlete. That's just so interesting, you know, cause I, I guess sometimes, you know, I, I always think like these problems are more modern, but that's even in the sixties, you know, you, you would still have yeah. some coaches kind of pre wanting that specialization. And so, you know, I'm I, not, not to knock that coach he's a fellow AC guy. So I, I know he had a reason for that, but, uh, I'm with you. I, I'm more on the multi-sport yeah. at least early, right? At least early yeah. on play everything. Maybe as you get towards the end, you start specializing a little more as you find your talent, but yeah, definitely interesting there. So let's move on to Austin college, you know, so both, both you and I went to Austin college. I'm a Houstonian. So I was unaware of Austin college until kind of doing my homework as far as where I wanted to keep playing and then them, them coming to recruit well, you know, us down, mm -hmm. you know, at my high school, but you're in the Metroplex area. So I know Austin college has a much bigger footprint just because of the ge geographical proximity. So my question is, were you aware of Austin college up the road in Sherman or, or were you not? No, I wasn't. In fact, Interesting. The, okay. Reason I got interested in Austin college. I actually had applied at Texas A&M thinking I was going to walk on at Texas A&M, but um, my, my best friend in high school who played football was also the salutatorian smart guy his older brother was at austin college and there was no place he was going to go except austin college i mean the guy was brilliant uh and pretty good football player too so he started saying he's going to go to austin college and then found out you know austin college had a football team and then i found out you know well 
probably had a much better chance of playing football there than walking on at A&M, you know, at my size. And uh, so my dad just wanted to see me play football and, and uh, he knew I probably had a better chance there. And so once we started hearing about Austin College, we just kind of pursued that, that path and, and uh, it ended up where it did. I, I, and I, I can relate 100%. And, you know, we've had guests on the show like Katie Kilgore. She's a head softball coach down here at Fort Bend, Austin. Or excuse me, she's, she's at Fort Bend, Travis, where my brother graduated. She went to Fort Bend, Austin, where I graduated from. So, you know, Katie won district coach of the year this year. But the thing that she shared was for her, even though she had an illustrious softball career at Fort Bend, Austin, she just kind of knew it was over for her. She didn't want, you know, she didn't want to continue. She, she did not want to continue to wake up at five 30 and go to workouts. And so sometimes that's hard for parents to accept because they paid a lot of money, you know, for your traveling softball clubs yeah. and all the lessons and this, that, and the other, but she credits her parents, you know, for supporting her and understanding say, Hey, we love you no matter what, if, if you feel that it, it's time to hang up the cleats and the glove, we still love you. And I, that's what I want to, you know, I want to tell parents and to look at her now she's the district coach of the year in softball. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So there's nothing wrong with Katie stepping away from it. But then for guys like you and me, I knew I needed it. I, I, I wanted to keep playing. I didn't want to go walk on somewhere. And I, I definitely didn't want to stop playing. I wanted to keep waking up at 530. I needed yeah. that. That was my identity. You know, so for me, Austin College is a great fit. And then once I took the trip, I, I stayed in Luckett Hall. It's actually, that was the end of Luckett Hall. I, I, that, it, it did not exist when I came back in the fall. Yeah. It was, that's when the demolition yeah. started. So I actually, on my recruiting trip, that's kind of a cool fact, you know, maybe Mark Parrish can write a story about it, but <laughs> I was there um, for my recruiting trip. That was the last semester of Luckett Hall. So I got to experience wow. it. We, you know, uh, Brian Womack was one of my hosts, you know, a big time option quarterback for us, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, that's, I know you've, you've followed and recognize yeah. that name, but uh, they, they, the guys are just so great. And I visited Trinity and Texas Lutheran, my other two choices. There's their similar division three schools and they kind of had the edge because they're a lot closer to Houston. But at the end of the day, I just felt like, man, these Austin college guys, like I just fit in here. Like this is where I want to be. Did you have a similar experience in your recruiting trip? Did you kind of instantly just feel like you were at home? Uh, not necessarily. You know, okay, I, interesting. I, yeah. I think I, you know, I, I think I mentioned in the answering your questions ahead of time, there were four, five of us that went up there uh, from, from WT White. Uh, first team all city uh, offensive tackle. That had played beside me. Uh, honorable mention all city nose guard. Uh, honorable mention all city defensive back. And then my best friend who was honorable mention all city and defensive end. And I was nothing. I, I went into my senior year. I, I had gotten sick this summer. I went in my senior year at white weighing 150 pounds. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't, did not have a stellar season. And so, you know, the interesting thing was I'd also sent an application up to Washington university in St. Louis. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Great school. And the day that coach gas sat us all down after we visited the school and everything. And I did have a you know positive reaction. I, I liked what I saw. There was a, a teammate from the previous year that had been playing, that had played at Austin college. Um, but he sat down and, and he, he went down the line and, you know, he started with the offensive tackle and he said, you'll start your first year. You know, and he told him who was coming back. He said, but you'll definitely start your first year. And then he went to the, the next guy and he says, you know, we got a couple of good defensive ends coming back, but you'll play a lot. You know, we'll get mm -hmm. you in a lot. And then he went kind of down the line and, and then he got to me and he said, what position did you say you played? And I said, well, I'm an offensive guard. And he said, yeah, we need those two. And, you know, uh, two of my teammates ended up coming up to White to Austin College with me. And uh, neither of them got to play their first year and they both quit 
after that. One left the school, and then of mm. course my my best friend, who was a, a real genius, he went on and got his degree, graduated early too. But uh, when I got home from that trip, you know, I was kind of deflated, you know, because of the Coach Gass's comments. And there was a letter there from uh, Washington University, and the head coach there said, uh, "I've seen films of you. You'll definitely start for us the first year." You know, you've got really impressive credentials. So my dad went nuts. I went nuts. Yeah. And we started thinking about that. But then found out we were too late to get any kind of scholarship money, any kind of financial sure, aid. Sure. Out of state and, tuition as well. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so it became Austin College. And, I, you know, I was committed from there. I liked Austin College enough. I wanted to play football. My best friend was going there. So it, it just kind of followed on that line. And then it, it ended up being brilliant. I mean, it, and absolutely, because your friends who were so highly sought after, great players in their own right, but you know, you mentioned for one reason or another, they kind of fell off year after year, didn't make it through. You know, I know you're a humble guy. You you wouldn't have brought this up, but I mean, I know that you know you you started, you earned a starting role in your freshman year. By the end of yeah. it, you you were a starter. You started all four years. You were captain of the team your senior year and selected the All Texas College team. So you had a illustrious career from from a guy that was kind of an uh afterthought i guess in coach yeah. coach gas's mind perhaps you know initially yeah. you just took you worked he just worked and you <laughs> did it so can you describe what it's like to go from like again an afterthought on a recruiting trip to team captain and you know uh all all texas college team member you know it was uh i did you know because of my size and everything i i've always had to, to work harder and and, and sure you know I, i've gotten you know, accomplished a great, great number of things in football that I, I never really thought I would. And I was always surprised. Um, like I say, I, I got, got lucky that first year, a couple of uh, starting center got injured and then the backup guard uh, quit the team. And, and so all of a sudden they needed me. And so I started, I think the third or fourth game, my, my, uh, my freshman year. And then uh, I think the second or third game I played, graded 99%. I mean, Coach Gass yeah. got up before he even started the film. He said, we had a freshman guard, grade 99%. He said, that's never happened here. And I, I think one of the things I always pride my in is not making too many mistakes. And I think that sure. always paid off. Um, it really embarrassed the hell out of me if I made a mistake on the football field. Uh, but then, you know, working hard in the offseason, uh, come back the next year, brilliant year we were eight and one in 1968 and ranked sixth in the nation and uh, I got to start that whole year and and uh, it was just a an amazing experience you know teammates you know what it's like playing in Austin mm -hmm. College the whole atmosphere everybody is a family and uh, just that opportunity I mean if I hadn't made all Texas College or been captain of the team I'd have been you know considered an amazing year but you know my, my senior year we the team voted on captain and Myself and Jerry Moore, who is a 165-pound middle linebacker, were selected captains. Uh, and, and that was probably one of the heights of my career is to have the teammates select you as, vote you as captain of the team. And then, uh, you know, to be named to the All-Texas College team at the end. You know, I often wondered how that happened. I don't know how they pick all, all conference or all college teams. But my last game the senior year, was probably the other one of my biggest memories. We played Texas Lutheran down in Texas Lutheran. Mm -hmm. And we had beaten them the first three years we played them. But my senior year, we had a bad year. We were only three and six. And, mm -hmm. and uh, 
and they had turned things around. They'd gotten a new coach and Texas Lutheran had really turned things around and they beat us 36 to nothing. Wow. But at the end of that game, and I actually sprained my ankle in the last fourth quarter, but at the end of the game, I was hobbling off the field and three defensive linemen that had been in front of me the whole game cornered me. And I was kind of like, what, what do you guys want? What do you guys want? And they came up to me and they said, we just want to tell you, you're the best offensive lineman we played against all year long. That's awesome. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that, that their coach put my name in for all Texas college. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because of that experience. I, I've never had that happen before, but these guys walked up to me and said, we just want to say you're, you're the best we've ever played against. And uh, quite, a, quite an honor. But the whole, I was just saying, whole experience at Austin College was amazing, with or without uh, honors. And I, you know, I, I feel like you and I have so many things in common. And again, maybe thirty-five years later, I came <laughs> here. I come <laughs> bebopping along, but both as you, you can understand the, I don't know if plight is the right word, but the situation of an undersized offensive lineman. And I lived it. I lived it too. And like you, though. You know, my junior and senior year of high school, I, 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 my senior year, I was first team all district in District 25A at the time. Now it's called 6A. You know, so in the biggest classification in the state, I was a first team all district player as an offensive lineman. So like you, I mean, even though I was smaller, I, I was still performing. Yeah. My coaches are telling me, Kobe, you're doing a good job. You know, you're performing, you're doing it. But yeah. I, this is what I always taught my players when I was coaching is I continued to let like outside expectations of what size I should be cloud my thinking and so i said hey i'm 6'1 225 i don't want to play offensive line anymore this is a senior in high school and so as i was going into the recruiting process i was telling the coach at austin college like hey i'm a first team all district offensive tackle out of sugarland but i'd really like to play defensive end and so and austin college was was obliging and, and coach dawson the defensive coordinator and coach norman they they granted my wish and i was recruited as a defensive end and so my first two years i played defensive end at austin college i really enjoyed it getting to learn that side of the ball and being in a great coach like Coach Dawson, who's still the head coach to this day, you know, and Coach Norman. And it was great. I mean, I was learning. I was getting better. I never cracked into the starting lineup. I was always the uh, second string backing up my guy, Artie Cook, from uh, Lone Oak, Texas. But, you know, it was – I enjoyed it. But I, I knew I wasn't – I was a little bit of a fish out of water, I guess you could say. You know, I'd been an offensive line all my life. And then going into junior year, Coach Norman and the staff approached me saying, Q, which is what I was called in college, like, we're, we we need we we could really use you at right tackle. You know we have a need there. We know you played in high school. You know at a high level. And at that, I said, yes, sir, absolutely, coach. Let's do it. And I'd be, you know, I'm, I'll come home. And that was my best season at Austin College. I really felt comfortable, like you. I mean, I was, I was getting good feedback on my performance. Uh, really in pass protection, man. That was my thing. I just love pass protecting. I uh, just really felt confident in that. And I I think what it. Uh, it was a big confidence booster, but you understand this. Like I really struggled to maintain my weight. I had gotten up to six, one, but it was using my meal pass to the extreme max and almost an unhealthy amount, but I was just eating nonstop and golden corral buffets. And I just, and again, I let the outside, I said, Hey, I got one more year to play football. I've always, I've always fancied myself an athletic style offensive lineman. You heard on the DeMarcus Harris episode, I'm an offensive lineman. That's not a bad basketball player at that time. Like I'd, I'd be playing in Huey gym and Sidrich gym. I'd, I'd play basketball a lot as an offensive lineman, as a 240 pound guy getting up there and getting offensive rebounds and playing. So I was like, I just, this was my, and I, I tell my kids, I, this is my biggest mistake and regret of my career. And sadly it's my senior year that I did this, but 
I just was convinced I'm, I'm an athletic offensive lineman. Like I can be a tight end. Like that's really what I should have always been. And I just wanted that so bad. And I let that thinking cloud my judgment to where I basically ramrodded it to where I'm just done playing offensive line. And the coaches eventually accepted it. And I, but the offense didn't have a tight end. And so I ended up playing kind of a wing position, which was even more fish out of water than any defensive end or anything I've ever played in my life. So that was, I enjoyed learning that aspect of it and it helped me be a better coach, like learning the skill position, but it was definitely nothing like being what I'd done in my whole career. I mean, I was off the line of scrimmage and, you know, I was a pitch man on option. It was just a complete cult, uh, change for me. And so, again, I was a second stringer behind uh, Jack Floyd, you know, the great coach down, you know, still coaching in Texas. But, you know, it, it just it wasn't the way I wanted my career to end after such a great junior year. And so I look back on it. And end of the day, I was selfish. You know, I just I put myself and my wants and desires before the teams. And it's kind of sad because that's the first time I'd ever done that in my entire career. I mean, leading up seventh grade through junior year of, of college. I mean, I was just the consummate team player. But I I guess I let that impending feeling of it's about to be over cloud my judgment and wanting to try tight end one time it just didn't work out for me and so I always tell my players I'd always tell them that story I mean hey I was a coach's dream all the way through the the very end until that last year and then I wasn't you know and that's that was my biggest regret and I tell the kids just believe in yourself just because you're not 6-1-2 I was doing it I was doing it at 6-1-2-40 it wasn't a problem I was playing well there's no reason I couldn't have done it for one more year and then also just putting trusting and trusting your coaches the coaches were telling me, Q, you're doing great. Like, we, we need you here. We need you to stay here. I didn't hear it. It went, it went in one out the other, in one ear out the other. So I just, I just always tell my players, like, trust in your coaches. They're going to put you in the spot that's best for you and that's best for the team. And so, I don't know. I just wanted to share that story with you and with the listeners. And just, I'm curious, you were you were similar to me. Did, did you ever have that inkling of, hey, I could, I'm fast. I run the quarter. I could go play linebacker or something like something of that nature. Or, or, were, you, or were you, like, relishing being that undersized offensive lineman? I, I, I guess I was relishing being the undersized lineman. I, awesome. I played some defense in high school. Uh, at one act, bad experience. In fact, it was in the same game where I had to be across from Bradshaw and I, and I was a outside linebacker and they started running a pass pattern on me, which I'd never seen before. And they ended up you know, scoring a couple of times and, and coach pulled me, and, you know, that was the last time I played defense, <laughs> but um, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed the position. You know, you've talked about, and it's key to offensive lineman, technique, quickness, you know, uh, not making mistakes. Sure. Having, having your head in the game. You know, that's why they say offensive line is, you know, second smartest to quarterback on the, on the team because you've got to know where everybody's going and what the plays are and, and, and defense is constantly shifting in front of you. So I, I really never had a, a, a desire. I, I, I relish that position. Yeah. Uh, and but you've said two key things there. I mean, believing in yourself and believing in your coaches. Yes, sir. And and I've often looked back, and I think the one thing that I contribute to my success is is I believed in myself, and I believed in myself because the coaches told me, you know, the coach Hallmark, who who told me I was good, the you know Coach Gas, who took the time to say you know recognize me for ninety nine percent, you know those kind of things helped me believe in myself, and. Uh, I studied my opponent, you know, the coach I, I worked with in Canada couldn't understand why, why I tried to get my offensive line to study their opponents. He says, well, they may not, may not play against that guy. I said, so what? They might yeah. they'll know that guy's techniques and they'll know how to block him. And I always study the film of my opponents ahead of time because I, I had to be ready for them. I had to, and I figured, you know, I'm going to outsmart them. <laughs> yeah. Nothing else. 
I love it. You know, and, and you're, you're, you're now the fifth. I think you're our fifth Austin College guest in team player history. Four out of four have had glowing reviews of David Norman. And I don't know if like your timing, if it worked out to where you were able to cross paths, you know, much with David Norman. But, uh, you know, that story I shared with you about that, that senior year and switching positions. I remember it, I went to a Legends weekend. I think it might have been for your induction. I, I went up. There. I can't remember yeah. which. I think it was for yeah. your induction. I, I went up to yeah. Sherman and I, you know, I wanted to be a part of that for to share in your honor. And I went up to coach Norman and I just, I, I really wanted to get it off my chest as a coach. I'm sorry for that bullshit. My senior year, I should have played O-line, you know, and he just gave me the biggest hug. We just embraced and hugged and said, I, I love you, Q, you know, and that's the kind of guy that he is, man. You know, kind of like the Demarcus Harris episode of like, you know, you heard, you know, Demarcus got kicked yeah. off the team and then his coach picked him up and gave him a ride home. So, you know, you knew yeah. it was nothing ever personal. That, that's how coach Norman is. He's a relationship coach, you know? And so even after, you know, I made a big mistake that year. I mean, Coach Norman didn't hold a grudge. You know, we just, you move on. He, he loves you. He still give you a hug. And, you know, he still checks in on all his guys. And so every single guest has said that. Every single guest has has shared that same sentiment. So I'm just, I was just curious, did, have you been able to cross paths much of Coach Norman or, or just did you not really oh, yeah. have the timing? Or... Oh, no, as, as, a, as a coach, as him being the coach, he used to come to Houston. I guess the first time I met, met David was he came to Houston to do some recruiting. Yeah. And so he got some alumni together. So we had had lunch and and we said, you know, we'll do whatever we can to support you. And, you know, th there were some rough years when he was coaching and, and mm -hmm. he was under a lot of pressure. And I always told David, I said, we'll support you, whatever you want. Yeah. And th there were some things going on on campus, too, that that were uh, frustrating to him, you know, and pressure and so forth. And I was I spent a lot of time with David and I got a lot yeah. of respect for him. And, and he he's that kind of guy. Um you know, when uh, I wrote my book about the, the all-Canadian team, I sent him a copy. Um, and then over the course of time, and I won't get into details, but I, I uh, ended up crossing paths and meeting and get to know, befriend a guy, an undersized lineman. I mean, undersized, six foot and 300 pounds, who played 13 years for the BC Lions and was mm. all pro. Uh, his name was Angus Reed. And Angus and I crossed paths and, and shared stories about being an offensive lineman and, and things like that. And, and after I wrote my book, he contacted me. He says, I'm going to write a book. And I'm going to, my name of my book is going to be Thank You, Coach. And it's a coach that coached him when he was uh, playing for the awesome. BC Lions. And so I helped him with that whole process of writing that book. In fact, if you, if you get the book, you know, I've got, I mentioned several times in the book for helping him put the book together. Rick Page yeah. is mentioned in the book as well. Um, but uh, uh, I sent that, that book to David Norman, and he just loved it, you know. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Coach Book. But he's a relationship kind of guy, and uh, I think he's been successful and, and reached the level he has because he connects with people. And, uh, no, I've got a tremendous amount of respect for David and, and uh, can understand why you guys feel the way you did as, as him as a coach. Absolutely. No, no doubt about it. Now, as far as – so you, you loved your time at Austin College. You – decided you know for once you graduate upon graduation you know for your fifth year you entered an mba program at mcmaster university in hamilton ontario and this is the kind of fun part all the guests know that or the listeners know that i i collect jerseys and so when i i learned that you're you know the the canadian i learned who your favorite cfl team is we'll reveal that later unfortunately i don't have that team and so we talked a little bit before the show um i have a toronto argonauts jersey doug flutie you know, I know you're from Toronto. I've got a Saskatchewan Rough Riders jersey. I was like, he may not like this because your team, I'm going to give a hint, is kind of in one of those, uh, you know, 
central central mm-hmm. provinces. Yeah. And uh, and then I said, I've got a Hamilton Ticats jersey, Hamilton Tiger Cats, where I know you went to McMaster. You chose Tiger Cats out of those three that I gave you because I don't have your favorite team. So you, I am I am rocking the the black and yellow here of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But you went to McMaster there in Hamilton. What was what was that experience like, Tim? Because you you've been gone from Canada since what did you say? Uh, 11 i believe you said you, you came to yeah, texas I left so, when i was 11 years old yeah. so now really more of your life has been spent in texas and canada so what was it like to go back you know quote unquote home uh to ontario there it was i mean it was really a cool experience i mean the the players out there i've been asked a lot of times you know because we'll probably get to in a minute i end up making the all canadian team mm-hmm. and people came up to me you know you how in the world do you make an all canadian team you know your size uh, and, and the players out there, I would expect they're probably compared to D2 size players. You know, the tackle beside me was 6'6 six, six and 260. The other guard was 6'3 yeah. and 240. The center beside me was a couple inches taller and about 210. But he went on and played five years in the NHL as a goalie. That's talk about an athlete. That's awesome. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was really good. I mean, it was Canadian rules football. Yeah. which was I, I never experienced before and actually worked out as an advantage to me because it was a yard between the offense and the defensive line. Correct. So because of my quickness, I could be on that, on that defensive lineman before he even knew it. And I'd have yeah. a yard head start on it. Yeah. Uh, and the offense just worked fit right in with my, my style, but the teammates were great. They all nicknamed me Tex, uh, <laughs> which is, they got a big, big, I remember one time we were in the huddle and, and, uh, Somebody made some comment about Tex, and I said, I don't sound like that. And they all broke out laughing because, you know, I had a Texas drawl. And, sure. Sherman and, will do that they, to you. I picked up a little bit of that East Texas, you know, <laughs> rot and tot and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I had a little bit of that going when I was in there. But it was a, it was a really cool experience. And um, I still, I'm still in touch with some of those guys I played with at, at McMaster. Yeah. Um, one, two or three of them went on and played in the CFL. Uh and uh, and just a, a good bunch of guys. The the head coach, uh, guy named Ray Johnson. He passed away a few years ago, and, and he had played in the CFL. In fact, most of the coaches had CFL experience, and there were only one or two paid coaches, um, kind of like Austin College, on, on the staff uh, up there. And the rest were, I guess, they were paid a nominal amount, and they were people in the community that had played CFL ball, and they came out and coached us. Um, but it was it was it was kind of fun, and, and and you know that one thing that was even more fun. Uh, I wrote a book a couple of years ago that that highlighted the careers of the twenty four of us that were selected that first All Canada football team, and I've developed some really close friendships with people that were my my bitter rivals when I was playing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'd never met them until I called them up and said, "Hey, I'm writing a book." And uh, that's cool. One, one interesting story that, that kind of highlights the difference between Canadian and, and uh, American football. There's one guy named Bob Eccles. And Eccles was a two or three time all Canadian middle linebacker, 6'2, probably played about 230, 235, something like wow. that. Wow. A good, great size. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, when I got hold of Eccles, um, I said, you know, the thing I remember about you, Bob, from playing, because we played his team uh, the second game of the season. Master, and I remember the week before, Coach was showing us the film of of his team, and he he pointed out. He says, "Now, now, some of you may remember this middle linebacker, Bob Eccles. He said he was with the Ottawa Roughriders last year." 
And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Mm. Wait a minute. That, that's a pro team. You're, yeah. telling the middle, <laughs> you're telling me that middle linebacker played pro football last year and I got to block him? He said, what, what, you got to understand in Canada, you're eligible for the CFL draft after three years. If you don't play in a regular season game, you just play in the preseason games. I if you see. don't play in a regular season game, you can go back and finish college. I see. Okay. And I went, oh, okay. Now I understand. Eccles is now one of my best friends. That's I've never awesome. met him except on the field. And, and uh, he and I talk. He's, he still lives in Ottawa. Uh, cool guy. In fact, he, he befriended my wife, too, because uh, one of his favorite TV shows is Coronation Street, which is a British show. And my wife's British, and she loves Coronation oh, Street. Oh, well, okay. Very so cool. I did not. I don't think I knew that your wife was British. Very cool. I, I yeah. can't wait to dig into the British part because you have some. Yeah. You spent time abroad yeah. in the UK, so I yeah. can't wait to dig into that. But okay, so was so are you saying that he like he spent the preseason with the with the Riders and then yeah. didn't make it, so they sent him back to college, or did he have to wait the whole season? Did he like sit on the sideline or? No, no. He he uh, he could go back to college. You know, when he so basically got cut at the end of the preseason, and they allowed actually actually he didn't get cut. He was. Uh, he saw that he probably wasn't going to play a lot. I see. I see. And he made he a decision. The, yeah. He asked the coach. He says, "You know, think I'm going to play?" And he said, "Well, you're going to be probably back up, or you know, sure. back up for a year or two. And, and he says, "No, I'm going to go back and finish college." Keith, I've been to Canada one time, and it was a trip where we, we were kind of going through the Northeast. We spent some time in Vermont, and uh, really love Vermont. Love Burlington, Vermont. That's one of my favorite cities. And we ended up then driving into Montreal. Got to, you know, got to have lunch, Montreal, walk around a little bit. And then we went to Ottawa. So my one CFL game that I have attended, I went to an Ottawa. Now they're called the Red Blacks. I went to an Ottawa Red Blacks game at TD Place. Beautiful stadium. Great atmosphere right along the river there. They got a little river that runs through there. Uh, Not not little, but a river that runs through there. Stadiums right next to a beautiful atmosphere. And the Saskatchewan Rough Riders came into town. And you know how those fans are. They travel. So there was green everywhere. Great. They're kind of like the... Maybe I would uh, equate to American fans, like maybe like Packers fans. You know, they're like a really passionate oh, Midwestern they're, they're fan base. Oh, I just, yeah. You know what I mean? And so it was a really fun game. So I, I loved my first CFL experience in person. Let me ask you a couple things. So just for American listeners listening, I mean, basic differences. Field is wider. Yep. Field About is 15 longer. Wide. Yeah. So th- there's no 50-yard line. It's like a 55-yard line right in the middle, right? End the zones end are – yeah, 25 yards. End zones are bigger. End zones are deeper. Goalposts at the front of the end zone, correct? Yep. Now, uh, that was obviously the NFL used to do that, and I think it was taken out as a player safety. So I'm curious for you, did that ever become an issue of the, the end zone, be, or excuse me, the, the goalpost being in the front? Was that a safety issue? Did you see guys run into it, or did, was it really not a problem? It it really wasn't a pro- problem. I, I can't say that I never saw anybody run into it, but uh, I don't recall it ever really being a problem. Okay. And then you also mentioned another rule is the D line. There's like kind of like a one yard, you know, no fly zone or line of demarcation. You know, you cannot crowd the ball. So that's definitely something that you, you pointed out that still exists. And then the most noticeable thing, it's only three downs. So you, you know, you really only get two downs to attack and then you got to decide if you want to punt it. Um, So that's kind of interesting. Makes it more of a passing style league for the most part, I would say it's more of a wide open league. Here's the question I have for you. This is one rule that I have a, just a, I, I have a very, layman's understanding of because i'm not i'm not a i don't know a lot about the cfl i'm kind of getting into it the rouge okay the rouge is a one point play that the way that i understand it is if you're able to punt the ball into the end zone 
the, the instead of like there, there's no touchback you can either return it and risk getting tackled deep in your own territory which there's a risk there right or you can just take a rouge right and just stay in the end zone and the the, the punting team gets one point so it's kind of a risk reward right do i want to give the other team a point or do i want to risk terrible field position is that accurate that's just kind of my my layman's knowledge of it or how would you know that that's that's pretty accurate the uh, the other dimension of that is a field goal too if okay. you kick a field goal and you miss the field goal and they don't run it out of the end zone you know you, you could also if you kick the ball out of the end zone you'll score a rouge okay. um, but a lot you know a lot of times the the defending team will put somebody deep in the end zone and they'll try to run the ball out particularly yeah. if it's a you know a one point difference in the score sure so they'll try to get that ball out of the end zone so if you kick a field goal or or uh punt the ball into the end zone and the other team does not advance it out of the end zone you score one point i love it i love it i i think it's cool i think it's a really cool rule it adds another layer of strategy and i i love it and i i like the cfl game because it's it's identifiable. If you're an American football fan, you'll still understand what's going on. It's it's not like sometimes you know we had Pat Abernathy, another Austin College alum, talk about rugby with me. Rugby, even though it's similar to football in some ways, it's a different game, right? It's very different. The rules are very different. CFL football, you you can tell if you know American football, you you can follow what's going on. But it's kind of cool. There's those little rules, and I've heard in recent years there's been debate. Some CFL fans are saying, well, we should make it more like the NFL. We should change this rule, take out this, take out that, make it four downs. I say no, man. I think you got a great product with a great history. Just keep it the way it is. I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it's a tradition. It's something uniquely Canadian. Uh, yeah. Something that Canadians are, are proud of. And you know, the, the game, you know, to be frank with you, it's not as an exciting game to watch. It can be, you know, late mm -hmm. in the game when you got the, the rouge and a few other things like that. It's a wide open game. As you yes. said, a lot of passing, big field, things like that. And there's a lot of things can happen. Uh, but the, in general, it's not as an exciting game. You don't have the, a lot of times you don't have the sustained drive, which you can get with four downs, you sure, know, sure, fourth down kind sure. of thing. Uh, and so they say, well, we could get more people interested in the game if we made it four downs, if we made it more of the American game. It's uniquely Canadian. And, yeah. uh, and most of the avid football fans of Canada love the game the way it is. And, and so I think they ought to leave it the way it is too. I agree. And one last thing I want to say, they have things in place to mitigate only having three downs. I mean, there are advantages for the offense. The field is bigger. 12, the 12 D -line, players. Yep. The 12 players. And then also similar to arena football, the receivers, you can send more than one receiver in motion and they can move towards the line of scrimmage. So it's actually yep. extremely advantageous for a receiver and very hard to defend. Your whole, your whole offensive backfield can be moving towards the Correct. line of scrimmage at the snap. You know, a lot of times, you, in, particularly in college ball, you'll see the, the, the quarterback will move his arms like this, and then all the backs and receivers start moving towards the line. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty scary if you're, a def if you're a defensive coordinator. I would never want to be a defensive coordinator in the CFL. That's a lot to handle. Um, but, okay, so let's talk about – so you had, a, you had another great career at McMaster. You stayed on uh, in your second year of your MBA program to be a GA, so I know you just really enjoyed your time there. But let's talk about your professional career, you know, after you hung up the cleats there. You – you coached, you coached for 10 years in British Columbia, Canada. So you do have coaching experience, but that was more towards the later part of your career. Yeah. Let's talk about what you were doing immediately following your graduation from McMaster. What, what, where, did, where did life take you? I, I started working for a consulting firm, uh, a consulting arm of a very large accounting firm. The firm at the time was called Arthur Anderson. The, the organization I was a part of is now called Accenture, which is the largest 
IT consulting firm oh, in the world. Definitely heard of Accenture. Absolutely. Yeah. So I spent uh, 14 years with them. And the last uh, year or two of that was in Canada. Uh, they, they realized they knew they had a Canadian in Houston that knew oil and gas and they needed somebody up in, up in Calgary. So they transferred me up, up to Calgary. Uh, but it was, a, you know, actually, I think I mentioned to you, I ran into Steve Bradshaw mm-hmm. at, at Arthur Anderson. Uh, I used to stand in the halls and I'd stand next to him and I said, I had to block this guy in high school. And, uh, and people get a kick out of that. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, it was. So you a, came a, down to Houston. Was your first stop? Yep. Okay. Now, what, what, I'm just curious, as a Houstonian, what what part of Houston were you living in? Uh, I lived you know, the first time. I lived right in the Galleria area. Oh, very Florida nice. Yeah, very cool. For about for about a year. Uh, then I got sent to Florida for six months, and then when I came back to Houston, rented an apartment out Westheimer, further out Westheimer, Lafayette yeah. Apartments. Okay. And then. Uh, then I moved, uh, rented a house in West University for about six months. Beautiful, and then beautiful we, area. We bought, beautiful. Bought a house in Sharpstown. And Very cool. Lived in that for a few years until I got transferred to Calgary. Uh, and then when I moved back to Houston, actually lived in West University. So you're an inner, you're kind of an inner looper kind of guy. I mean, you yeah. or at least near the, you were, you were in the city, you know, it yeah. was not a, like I grew up in Sugarland, so you were not, you were not that far out into the suburbs. So right. kind of cool. Um, Cirilla Ojeda is one of our team player alums and he was the head coach at the Sharpstown Apollos before now he's taken a job at Aldine, my old school. So I'm, I'm rooting for yeah. coach Ojeda. He's a great guy, but that's kind of cool just to see all the connections there. But yeah. so eventually, you know, you're, you're working in the private sector, but I know for you, you're the kind of guy, the love for football runs deep. So I know eventually you get you get heavily into officiating. Uh, you officiated high school football for 27 years, 25 years in Texas, and two years in England. So let's talk about that. What what was your timeline? What were you? Did you start officiating in Texas and then later go to England, or was it the other way around? I started officiating in Texas. Okay. Uh, they they run commercials about being a, a football official, and I was watching TV one night and said, you know, we need football officials. And I thought, how oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So uh, I went out and signed up. And the first two or three years, you just do JV ball and Pee Wee sure. football and things like that. So it takes three or four years to where you're actually on a varsity field. Uh, but I loved it from the very beginning. I mean, there there were some issues that I didn't like. Sure. <laughs> Dealing with some coaches and some fans and, and what have you. Right. But uh, it worked well into my schedule. Uh I didn't actually officiate that time I was in Canada, but I started officiating when I came back. And uh, uh, like I, I mentioned to you, over the course of years, I got to see some amazing athletes. Yeah. You know, uh, at least a dozen of them ended up being stars in the NFL. We're going to go through that list at the end of the show. It's, it's, okay. Stay tuned. It's amazing, the guys that he's, he's officiated. <laughs> anyway, uh, and then I got transferred to England. Uh, I think it was 1992, something like that. Wow. And uh, one time I was – watching tv one night and they started talking you know they they were showing that they were playing football by american rules and i said if they're playing football they've got to have officials mm-hmm. so i i made a few phone calls i found the officials league uh went and met with the guys and they said yeah we'd love to have you <laughs> you were they were you were like a uh, gift from god they're like where, oh, where did yeah. this guy come from we needed this <laughs> <laughs> and the I had always played uh, head linesman or line judge when okay. I was uh, officiating in Texas, and they immediately said, "No, we want you to be the referee." Wow, you and got to be I the said, white hat. Yeah, I said, "Why is that?" And they said, "Because when the coaches hear your Texas accent, they'll believe you." <laughs> this guy knows this old this chap knows football. Right? <laughs> this guy knows what he's talking. Yeah. About. 
Right. And, uh, and so that ended up being a, a couple of years of a lot of fun. So cool. What, 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 where were you living in England? What city? I lived in a, a town called West Byfleet, which was south of London. I worked in London, but I lived in, in West Byfleet, which is, you know, I rode the train out of uh, Waterloo, Waterloo Station. I've been, I've, I've, I've been to London twice on, on vacation. I did. I remember that station. And then were, were you near Twickenham at all? Cause I know Twickenham, Twickenham's kind of like Southwest of London, correct? Yeah, no, I wasn't near, Not near there. Twickenham. Okay. I, I went there for a rugby match once for the I, I went to a rugby match there once too. Yeah. Awesome. So cool. But, and then you mentioned, I love this and this is no shade. Cause I want to attract English listeners, right? I, I want English listeners. I'm not trying to insult or anything, but this is funny. What you said to me, you said you officiated one game between Oxford university and Cambridge university. And this is the funny part. Any two junior high school teams in Houston would have beaten either of those teams by 40 points. <laughs> so you, you weren't too impressed with the level of the collegiate football there. So what, what was, what did you see there when you officiated that game? Well, you know, the regular games that were played that we normally officiated were between towns, you mm. know, Horsham versus uh, Kingston, something like that. And, and those were good athletes. That's what I was going to say, because because of the rugby background, I figured they're, that's what surprised me. I see what you're saying. The, the, the town teams were obviously were not junior high level. They were much right. higher. But for whatever right. reason, these college teams, what, what, what was it about the college teams that was so? Well, and, uh, you know, I think I think it, you know, to be honest with you, and I don't want to offend anybody, but I think it was the nerds at okay. Cambridge and Oxford. Sure. They decided sure. they wanted to play American football. Yeah. Because I went out there and they did not look like athletes. I mean, sure, sure, and, sure. And uh, the only thing that, that, <laughs> was American about the football they played. I mean, they played by the rules, but the coach for one of the teams, I think it was a coach for Oxford, was from Texas. And he came into our locker room before the end. He says, which one of you guys is a guy from Texas? He says, this is a big game. This is Texas versus Texas A&M. This is the big clash. <laughs> sure. And we, awesome. we we talked back and forth and, and got a kick out of the fact he, he'd gone to the University of Texas, I think, and was there in, in graduate school coaching the team. But they before the game even started, they wanted to, one team wanted to protest because the other team had illegal cleats. Oh my! And God. the the whole thing was just, I mean, it was it was it was funny. These guys, you know, like I said, I think they were the nerds. You know, if you wanted to play rugby against Oxford or Cambridge, you'd be in for a match. You yeah, to, buckle up your chin strap because those right. guys for sure. <laughs> but so you know, I always like to ask people give the English cuisine a hard time. I I I didn't mind it. I mean, yeah, it, it's not. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not very, not extremely flavorful or anything, but like, it's the kind of food that I like. I'm just curious. You lived there for two years. I mean, what was your take on, on English food? Uh, it was okay. I mean, I got to like some of the things and, and of course I'm married to a, an English woman now. So yeah. Tell us about that. I, that. I didn't, I did not know that. It's so cool. Yeah. How did you uh, meet her? We, uh, we actually met online. I, oh, very I got, cool. so my wife and I also met online. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have so much in common. <laughs> And uh, I was working for a consulting firm at the time, and, and she was living in Toronto, and I was living in Houston. And Oh, okay. She was English of... living in Toronto. Yep. Man, you so many interesting... Yeah, you have a very just interesting life, sir. <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, anyway, so I had a business trip to Toronto, and so we got to yep. meet, and then one thing led to the other, and we ended up getting married. What a cool story. What a cool story. So that, that is so cool. And then what, what part of England was she from? Uh, she was actually from within a few miles of where I, I lived when I went over there. Oh, that's incredible. So that's, south, that's a, yeah. South of so, London. 
So those two years living in England and now being married to an English woman, do, did you pick up any of the accent at all? I mean, at, at any time in your life or did, did it not change? I, I picked up a lot of the terminology. Sure. I don't know if I picked up any of the accent. You, know. you, you have a very non-dialectical kind of speech, you know, because you, you've got Canadian, English and Texan. So those are three strong accents, <laughs> but I can't detect any of it from you. <laughs> yeah, when, I, when I first moved here from from Canada in 1960, uh, I got I got kitted a lot for some of my terminology sure. and some of my accent. Sure, uh, but it, it finally went away. And I'm just curious, did you know? Because you, you you're now. I mean, you're you're in you're in your 70s. So I don't I don't know if if a lot of your your officiating buddies from back in Houston do you, do you still have any that are still officiating, or or have most of most of the people you officiate with moved into retirement? One. One of the guys off my crew, and I think you probably remember when at the Austin College uh, Hall of Fame induction, I had the whole crew there that I'd worked with yeah. for about 10 years. And one of those is still officiating, as far as I know. The rest have retired. Um, but uh, in fact, you know, I, I expect there's probably a number that are still there that were there when, when I was officiating, but there's probably at this point in time, most of them are retired. Sure, 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 sure. And so you, um, you know, you, after you were done, you know, with your career and you moved into retirement, you picked up, a, you picked up the camera and that became a big passion of yours. You, you picked up the camera. You started shooting all sports in the Houston area. You even covered Rice University and was on the field and Rice played many teams, including Texas, the year they won the national championship. Uh, I guess that was what, 06, 05 or 06. And then 05. you covered Texas twice that year. So what, what, what was it? What was it about? Did you always have a passion for photography? Cause I, th when I was in school, I remember you were, you were very involved in photography. That's kind of how we met. We, you know, you're showing me photos yeah. that you took from our games and stuff. So what, what was it about the photography that you've always had that interest or did you just pick it up later in life? I've, I've always had the interest, James. I, I, you know, from the time I've got a picture of myself when I was eight years old, holding a camera in my hand. And I've always been fascinated by photography and particularly action sports photography. I've mm -hmm. always liked the idea of stopping action. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, you know, I reached the lull in my career. Some things have changed and I thought, you know, what I really love, I love sports and I love photography. So why aren't I out there doing that? And so I started taking some pictures around town and, and I went to a local newspaper uh, in West University and I showed them some of the pictures and they, I said, wow, they, these are really good. He says, you want to be our official sports photographer? Mm -hmm. And they had about a, a distribution, about a hundred thousand in West University, Memorial and Bel Air. Yeah. Um, and so I was going to games, high school games. They got me into all the rice football games, basketball games, baseball games. Which uh, paper was this again? Uh, the Examiner, West University Examiner. Examiner. Yep. Oh yeah, I've heard of that. Yep. And uh, and so I I took pictures for them for two or three years. And yeah. Just got to see so much sports, high school sports, college, you know, pro. Uh, I ended up shooting for Referee Magazine. I was showing you the picture earlier, Austin College. But uh, Referee Magazine got me into uh, some of the Texans games. Uh, you got to have credentials yeah. to get on the field, uh, and particularly in college and, and even in high school, you got to have credentials. Uh, so hooking up with Referee Magazine, they called me and they said, we want you to cover a particular uh, referee in the Houston Rockets game. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was kind of cool. The guy had been around for a long time and he's quite a reputation. His name was Bennett Salvatore. I remember him. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know that and name. So, yeah. so uh, I show up at, at uh, the stadium for the Rockets game and, and 
work my way back to the officials locker room and I walk in and there are the three officials. I didn't know Bennett Salvatore from the man in the moon. Yeah. And so the first guy gets up and he shakes my hand. And he says, hi, I'm Bennett Salvatore. And he says, great to meet you. And the next guy stands up and he's hi, I'm Bennett Salvatore. <laughs> and the third guy stands up and he's hi, I'm Bennett Salvatore. Yeah. <laughs> he says, okay. Guys. Jokesters. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And you know, yeah. So as, as far as your, you, you, you just, you've, you've crossed paths with a lot of famous people, whether as a player, an official, a photographer. I mean, you've, you've had a lot. So a lot of Cowboys fans down here, not often you get to meet a, a ring of honor member. So Cliff Harris of the Dallas Cowboys, you played against him. What was that experience like? It was uh, unfortunately a bad experience because that was our <laughs> only loss in 1968. Yeah. Uh, we went in a halftime ahead of them, but uh quarterback had a bad game that game he threw six interceptions and three of them went to cliff harris wow and uh on one one of his interceptions i tried to tackle him yeah. and uh i felt like i hit a telephone post sure and i think he went in and scored on that play and i didn't even slow him down um it was uh, <laughs> he was at he's at watchtop baptist right and then... watchtop baptist yeah uh and he said later that uh He's pretty sure that game kind of got him on the radar for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, uh, with his three interceptions, and of course it was close to Dallas. They even had some had somebody a scout in the stands looking at him. Six but, one one ninety. That's that's yeah. good size uh, for a safety there. Yeah. This one is pretty cool. When you were coaching in British Columbia, we, we didn't really get too much into it, but you know you you did coach in British Columbia. Yeah. You and I were constantly emailing back and forth as you went your your way through the uh, provincial playoffs, and that was always fun. But while you were there. You coached against a current NFL player, Chase Claypool. So one of the best Canadian-born football players, you know, in the NFL, you know, and extreme talent for the Pittsburgh Steelers. What was that like? Unbelievable. Yeah. I remember the week before the game, our, our defensive coach was looking at the film of uh, Abbotsford High School where, where Claypool played. And he got the rest of it. He said, you know, all of a sudden this guy stood out. I mean, Claypool was probably, I mean, well over six feet an amazing athlete. And he says he couldn't believe the range of this guy uh, offensively and defensively. He covered the whole field defensively. And, and just, he, he said, you know, his eyes fell out of his head. He's watching the film. He says, who is this guy? How do we defend yeah. against him? And uh, we ended up playing them in the first or second round of the playoffs. So we actually beat the team, but uh, Claypool was all over the field. Yeah. I mean, I, I had never seen, at least in my coaching career, a more awesome uh, player than than he was um we had some we had some good athletes on our team and we went on and uh i think we got beat in the in the, the final game that year but but uh, he was one unbelievable athlete and then when he signed with notre dame we, we weren't surprised sure absolutely no, no doubt about it i mean he, he's something else and i'm gonna start going down this list just for the sake of time i'm gonna kind of just run through them and then i'll stop for maybe a couple or if there, you can stop me if there's one you have a great story for okay. but it's a very long list here um you also played against scott henderson so for any you know long long time longhorns fans he was uh captain at ut so you played against him in high school your senior year and then players where you've officiated i i'm probably gonna stop after this one because this one is close to home thurman thomas Thermal Thurman Thomas from Willow Ridge High School in my my home of Fort Bend County, Fort Bend ISD. What was that like? You know, there, there are a few players that when you see them in high school, you know they're going to be awesome. And, yeah. And uh, when we officiated that game, Thurman Thomas was in. I mean, it, it was unbelievable. 
yeah. the things he did. I remember one time he got the ball and he actually ran a circle on the field. Uh, he ran into some resistance. He cut back to the left. He cut back again, went back to behind the line of scrimmage and then ran a circle and ultimately scored a touchdown. But, uh, you know, watching him play was just amazing. Uh, and he is one of, you know, two or three that really stood out uh, watching them play in high school. And uh, no, no doubt about that. He, he was an incredible Hall of Famer of Buffalo Bills. And then uh, so many, so many of these Casey Hampton for the Longhorns fans. Definitely remember him a great career of Pittsburgh Steelers uh, for a long time. Was was he just completely disruptive in the middle? Yeah, you know, he was. And, and the thing I remember, you know, I remember the coin toss and, and he was one of the captains of the coin toss and he just stood there, big frown on his face, you know, mm -hmm. huge man. And I kept looking at him and, you know, he didn't smile, didn't talk, just, just stood there. And then the thing I remember most about him is, is I was on the, the Galveston ball sideline and I was like halfway through the, the, the first quarter and there was a timeout and the coach came screaming up to me and he says, you know, I've got an all-American defensive tackle in there. And he says, they're holding him on every play. And I said, okay, coach, I'll, I'll go in and tell the umpire. So I went in to tell the umpire. I said, I laughed. I said, the coach thinks he's got an all-American defensive tackle and they're holding him. So why don't you watch holding? Okay. And we laughed. Yeah. All-American, right? Yeah. Well, the next year he started for Texas and uh, he went on to become an all-American at Texas and then played for the Pittsburgh Steelers for 13 years. But we were going to officiate a game with the same coach. He'd moved on to a different team the next year. And as we were going, we were watching a Texas game on, on TV in, the, in our van and there was Casey Hampton starting. So before the game, I went up to the coach, Nick Vorsick was his name. And I said, coach, I got to apologize for you. He was all American. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story. And you know, the funny thing is like, with officials and, and the coaches, sometimes it is a contentious dynamic. And I, I know you mentioned there's sometimes some coach, some, some coaches made it to where you didn't enjoy your job. We always joke around. Oh, go ahead. Do you have a story about that? Uh, go ahead. Oh, okay. No, I, I was going to say, you know, episode 14, Brett Sniffen, my mentor, my head, longtime head coach at Ridgepoint, who I learned under now he's head coach at Belton. He, he is a fiery guy on the sidelines and he got a certain reputation amongst officials. And so when I became the head coach at Aldine, I would always begin every meeting with the white hat, you know, before the game, as you're kind of going over, I would say, please don't let my, my mentor's reputation precede me. I'm, I'm very nice guy. You're going to enjoy working with me on the sideline. <laughs> There's going to be nothing like that. Um, but coach Sniffen, you know, and he, he said, he's kind of, he's mellowed out in his old age. He's much, much better with the officials now, much, you know, just much calmer and, he did mention, I don't know, did you remember a guy named Norman Richardson? Did you ever cross paths with him when you were officiating in Houston? Yeah, that meant, yeah, I, I do. And he, unfortunately, Norman, Norman passed away recently. So, you know, rest in peace, Norman, you know, well, well loved, you know, by everyone here in the Houston area. But Coach Stiffen always said that, that Norman Richardson was the one white hat that could handle him. That's, that's the way that he put it on the show. He said, that's the one guy that could handle me. He'd look at me. He'd put a mint in my hand. And he said, it's going to be okay, coach, you know, <laughs> he just put a little mint or, you know, you know, so just try to get him to calm down and kind of get, got a laugh. And so you're right though. It's that humor. Like what you did coming up to coach Vorsick the next year and say, coach, you were right. You aren't yanking my chain. Kate, he wasn't all American, you know, and I'm sure coach appreciated that. I think that's as coaches. Yeah. They are out of line sometimes when they really braid officials, but sometimes, you know, it is intense. I think it can help officials if they can, instead of, putting up a wall or ignoring them or being rude back or whatever, just a little bit of humor, I think goes a long way. Do you, do you feel the same way? Or I mean, Oh yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah, curious your thoughts on that because obviously I've never officiated, so I don't know why I'm talking about this and you you're the expert but i mean that just seems my opinion that would help the relationship oh absolutely and and i uh you know there was there were some coaches in houston that had quite a reputation and and Mm -hmm. before the before each game you know me and the headlinesman we'd we'd kind of say who's going to be on his sideline (laughs) oh my god do you mind sharing those names with us is it okay to share them or i'm sure some of our listeners would be interested one of them was the aldine coach i can't remember his first name is bill smith bill smith Bill oh, Smith, God. that my my, I took over at Aldine High School, and Bill Smith's legendary. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember one story, and I have to tell you about this because I was on his sideline in a game, and, and he had a hell of a reputation, and, and I'd officiate some of his games before, and they were started to play the national anthem, and one of the assistant coaches came up to me, and he said, uh, "Did you tell go tell Coach Smith to take his hat off?" And I looked at the coach and I said, "No, sir." I've got enough trouble for the next three, four quarters. You go tell him to take his hat off. I love it. I love it. That, and I agree with you. That, yeah. that, that's not your job as the official. No, I mean. no. Anyway, one story I really love, and it, you know, getting back to the humor part, we, we coached and uh, officiated a number of the KD High School games when, mm-hmm. when Mike Johnston was there and oh, he yeah. was build, build, yep. building the, the program. And Mike and I – Early on in my officiating career, I didn't have an altercation with him, but I was on his sideline when he had an altercation with our with our uh, referee mm-hmm. on an issue, and it was kind of, got kind of ugly. But Mike was a, a good coach and, and very intense, but he didn't give us a, a tough time. You know, he was he was very fair. But he told me one time, you know, because he selected our crew a lot, and he says, you know, I always get in trouble when I select your crew because your last name is Johnston and my last name mm. is Johnston. Yep, I didn't think of that. Yeah, and uh, he says, I always get quite, who, who is this guy? What's the relationship? You know, I says, there's no, he, he says, I have to tell him there's no relation whatsoever. Right. Kind of thing. But we were doing a game as Katie and, and Aileen Taylor. And, uh, and the other, Mike was on the opposite sideline from when I was on. So we try not to talk to the other side coaches, you know, so my mm-hmm. coach doesn't see that ahead of time. But I was walking around the field with, uh, with the headlinesman and we ran into Coach Johnston. And so I stood back and the headlinesman went up and started chatting with him and, and asking him if he had any unusual plays or anything like that. So he finished the conversation and I looked over at Mike and I was just, hey, Mike, mom just wanted me to tell you hi. <laughs> 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 and, uh, I love and he, it. He cracked up. <laughs> he just got the biggest kick out of that. And just remind me, just, and I, I should know this, but I've since forgotten. The headlinesman is on the home side and the line judge is on the visitor. Is that the distinction or? Uh, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. I think, I think it's actually the uh, other way flipped. around. The other way around. So the home team is looking at the down markers. I see. Okay. So it's, it's actually the flip side, the other way around. Okay, cool. And so, but so you had that unique experience. Cause let me ask you this. Cause I, I, I talked about this. Like I thought about going into officiating now that I'm out of coaching. Cause I just, I, I miss being on the, in the action, you know, but I, I just, we talked about this. Like I, I like, I, I just feel like I've got the gift for gab. And so I kind of like approaching it from the podcasting and broadcasting perspective to still, you know, get my football fix and my sports fix. But if I did it, I've always said, Keith, I want to be the umpire. I want to be in there. Cause that's when I used to coach inside linebackers at Ridgepoint and Aldine, like that's where I would stand at practice. I just love standing in between my two inside backers and just seeing the game yeah. flow from there. I just would love to hear the pads crunching, 
cracking and hear the trash talk going on in the trenches. And I want to be the guy calling holding and think, I, I don't know. I've always gravitated towards that. Am I crazy? Is that just an extremely dangerous, difficult position? Or I'm curious, like the hierarchy of where officials want to be at is an umpire a popular choice or is it something that nobody wants to do? I've always kind of wondered that. It's, it's probably one of the least popular because of the risk of getting hit and knocked down. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I started officiating, I thought that's what I wanted to be because I was an offensive lineman, you know, right in the middle. But what I really enjoyed doing, and I guess maybe this goes back to running track in high school, is I really loved running up and down the sideline. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I had to interact with the coaches, and some of that was an unpleasant experience at times. But, but I, I enjoyed, you know, running up and down the sideline, trying to keep up with the receivers, yeah. you know, which there's no way I could. But, you know, I enjoyed that activity rather than just sitting in one place in the middle and trying to keep them getting hit. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I did play, you know, I did officiate as an umpire in some games because you, JV games, you show up at the game and, you know, what do sure. you want to do? I want a referee. Okay, well, I'll umpire. You know, sure. whatever kind of thing. But uh, it's probably not, you have to have a different personality to be that. And, and yeah. you got to, you know, you're going to get hit. Uh, and you got to realize that occasionally you got you to gotta get out of the way. That's, I, I love it. I mean, so I guess if I ever did a spot, if I ever did get into officiating, Maybe I could move into umpire fairly quickly because nobody wants to do it. <laughs> and I, people that know me would describe me, yes, I am wired a little bit different. I'm, I'm kind of a weird guy. So I think I, I could definitely do that. But th like, like you said, Keith, I would not want to be a linesman because I don't think I'd want to deal with the, the, the coaches. I just, I don't want the coaches in my ear. So that's, that's another thing I like, but umpire, I'm right in the middle. I can't hear you, <laughs> you know, but uh, anyhow, so uh, lo lots of fun stuff there. And last thing on the officiating dynamics you mentioned some of the ones that were a little you know a little scary or a little bit hard to work with was there any head coaches you remember of just being just a true pleasure to work with that, that's how I always wanted to feel like when I was at Aldine like I wanted I wanted officials to be like we we like ref and Kobo's games you know I, I just was there anyone that just rings a bell perhaps yeah Neil Quillen Neil Quillen is that humble Neil Quillen started at yeah he but he he coached at Willeridge well that's right he's a Willeridge guy and then he went to humble and he was one of the nicest guys, soft-spoken. Yeah. Uh, but one of the nicest uh, coaches, uh, you know, I fish away. I mean, I enjoyed Mike Johnston too. Like I said, he was yeah. intense and he wouldn't get on your case unless you really deserved it. Sure. Okay? Uh, he may question the call, but he wouldn't be a jerk about it. Uh, Neil Quillen was always soft-spoken. He always said, Mr. Official, can I ask you a question? Mr. Official, you yeah. know, this, yeah. that. Uh, and he was extremely successful. Willeridge, humble. Uh, yep. He had a, 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 I expect he's probably retired by now, but but he's one that that really stood out to um, me. And like I said, I enjoyed I enjoyed officiating. You know, one that I had a lot of respect for, but I did have a few run-ins with was Lynn Etheridge at Tomball. Interesting. Okay, I don't I don't know him as well. Yeah, he was there at Tomball for quite a number of years, and he could be pretty intense and uh, fiery at times. Sure. <laughs> No doubt about it. And so you, so you mentioned Casey Hampton at Galveston Ball, another great D lineman, Sean Rogers from Laporte out there uh, in the east side of town. Played for the Detroit Lions. A couple of great receivers here: Brandon LaFell at Lamar High School uh, down here in the heart of Houston. You know, kind of probably not too far from the areas where you were yep. living there. And when you're in West U, that's a Lamar zone there. Um, he played for the Patriots. And then, you know, Brandon LaFell. So my good, did you ever cross paths with the Bel Air coach Marshall Law? Oh yeah, I know Marshall real well. He, Tell me fact, about Marshall. Great guy, love. He's Marshall. a good friend of mine. So I'm glad you. Okay, I'm glad you like well, him. He's in, a great fact, friend of mine. In, 
In fact, yeah, I hooked you up with Marshall. That, that's, you- that was, you were the one that, yes, you yeah. were the one that connected us there when I got out of coaching. Yeah. I, I was trying to remember who, I, yep. it was you. It was you yep. saying, this guy's similar to you. We, we both got our head coaching jobs young, around 30 years old. He got Bel Air. I got Aldine. So we had so many similarities. And Keith, I got to tell you, I, I don't know if I've thanked you enough for introducing me to Marshall Law. And I, I worked for him with at a time with Justin's, and then he's moved on to other things. And now I've moved on to other things of Dactronics. But he is a friend to this day, and he'll be a friend till, till the rest of time. Yeah. That is a salt of the earth guy. That's a definite salt of the earth in the dictionary. It's a picture of Marshall Law. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm so happy you introduced me to him, but please tell, tell, tell us about your uh, memories of martial law. Uh, terrific guy. And I actually met martial law through a guy named Don Taylor. Don Taylor played at Austin college in the late fifties and early sixties. And was a lawyer in Houston. And we met at an alumni event and became instantly best friends. He was in the same fraternity. I was in an Austin college, played football at Austin college. And, and we connected immediately. Don had two sons also that both played football that I got to know over the years. Don, unfortunately, passed away a few years ago. Mm. But Don lived close to Bel Air. Uh, I think both his sons went to Bel Air. And so he was tightly connected to Bel Air. And uh, he would introduce me to, to the coaches there. And he introduced me to martial law. And, and, uh, and I'm not sure if I, if I ever officiated, I think I probably officiated one of their games, but I took a whole lot of pictures of yeah. Bel Air football. And uh, got to be good friends with Marshall. In fact, his mother uh, still sends me messages on Facebook. Uh, she likes yeah. some of my photos, and she remembers the stuff I took. Ada Faye, yep, yep. she's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Ada Faye. And, you know, and it's uh, funny. The reason I, I brought up Mar—I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I cut you off there. That was, uh, you know, the reason I brought it up with Brandon LaFell because I just remember Marshall telling me the stories that he he belair was a doormat you you may have remembered like belair belair was really struggled for a very long period of time and marshall finally got it turned around there in those early 2000s and yeah. he started beat like they beat worthing for like the first time in 27 years you know all these teams they could never beat they beat they started beating them the one team they could never get was their big rival lamar yeah. they just couldn't they came so close um you know and they had some some great game plans but he i think he i remember him telling i think there was a game where they just couldn't stop Brandon LaFell and they had yeah. double team, you know, set up in, in a great scheme for him, but just, he would go get the ball. Yeah. So yeah. Amazing athlete, amazing athlete. We had Danny Amendola from the Woodlands. I remember watching him play against North shore at rice stadium, you know, for a state championship one year here in Houston. That's a good memory. Of course, he's had a great long career. I think he just recently retired very recently. Yeah. I think this year just retired. Uh, Mike, uh, Michael Stray, uh, Michael Strahan. I got to ask about this from Westbury, Westbury rebels. Uh, you know, New York Giants, all-time single-season NFL sack leader. What was that like to see him in person? He, he was dominant. He was yeah. he was dominant. We we read about him in the paper before we officiated the game, and of course, you know, he, he stood out on the field. He uh, he dominated the defensive line. No doubt about it. And look at him now. He's like the host of Good Morning America. So he's one of those daytime. So he's just an incredible media personality now and just such a such a great shining light. Uh, went to Texas Southern, you know, here in Houston. So just a total yeah. Houstonian. Born in Germany, military family, but really a Houstonian for sure. You uh, mentioned Brian Arakpo. That's another Lamar High School legend. Um, Andrew Luck. This is one I want to stop again and talk about from Stratford High School because we also, I crossed paths with him. My first year ever coaching. Funny story, Keith. My first year ever coaching the team went 13 to one 
my last year ever coaching as head coach at Aldine, we went 0 10. So I've seen it all, brother. From from my <laughs> career, it was uh, you know, I guess only downhill from there. Just with some great Ridgepoint teams mixed in there. But in the second round of the playoffs, I believe it was Clements when I was coaching a four-pen Clements my first year, taking on Stratford at Galena Park ISD Stadium. Terrible rain and cold, just brutal day. But that day, the quarterback matchup was Andrew Luck for Stratford versus Derek Carr for the Fort Ben Clements Rangers. Wow, who would have thought? You know, yeah. who would have did that? Who the, the fans who retreated to watch that game? Who would have thought those are two NFL starting quarterbacks in a few years? So, Andrew Luck, we called him Andrew Truck because he trucked one of our linebackers. I think people don't understand maybe how good of an athlete Andrew Luck was and how strong and physical he was. So, you know, that physical, maybe that contributed to shortening his career a little bit, unfortunately. And I, I'm glad he chose his health and I support him 100%. But what was Andrew Luck like? And also just being like valedictorian at a school like Stratford and going to Stanford, just an amazing person. So what what was your memories of, of officiating Andrew Luck? Well, actually, I didn't officiate Andrew Luck. Oh, that's photographing. I'm sorry. That's photography. Yeah. Yep, you're but right. Still, the, the crew that uh, I had worked on after I re- retired from officiating, uh, I used to follow them around and, and take pictures of the games they were in. And they were officiating a Stratford game. And I got a lot of amazing pictures of Andrew Luck. In fact, I, one time I posted something on Facebook, a picture of him uh, with Baltimore, with the Colts and in Indianapolis and, and his high school picture side by side. Yeah. But uh, no, you're right. He was an amazing athlete. It was, it was uh, incredible to watch him. And of course, I ended up taking a lot of pictures of him because he, he really stood out. I've got more names. This list is going to keep going. This is great. Andy Dalton, the red rifle from Katie, incredible quarterback, uh, you know, played long career at the Bengals, you know, and, and now moved on to some other teams. But um, when that year that we went 13 and one, we went, we were undefeated. We were 13 and 0. We played Katie in the regional final at Rice Stadium. The quarterback at that time, though, was one of your Calgary. Now he's a quarterback for the Calgary Stampeders. Bo Mitchell. Bo, Bo Levi, Levi Mitchell. Mitchell. You got it. Yes, sir. You're right on the money. Bo Levi Mitchell was the quarterback. So Andy Dalton, Bo Levi Mitchell, just so many great quarterbacks to come out of Katie high school, Sam Adams, some clear creeks, a little bit of an older, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit more in the past or earlier on in your career there. So uh, clear Creek high school, what was, do you remember officiating that one? Well, you know, the thing I remember most about that, not so much the game, but, but before the game, because Sam Adams already had a reputation uh, and everybody knew how good he was. Right. And I remember walking around the field and we, we stood and watched him just warm up and everybody's saying, he, he's going to be good someday. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, sure enough, he was. So that's kind of cool that just the fact that I've always wondered this about officials and I'm sure it's different in every crew, but do you guys kind of, do you follow high school football in terms of like, are, are you guys, is there like talk about what the records are, who the star players are, or is it more of like, Hey, We've got a job to do. We're just going to focus on that. Like we don't, we don't focus on these other things. I've just always kind of wondered that. No, I mean we do to some extent. I mean if we, you know, are aware of players like I'm saying, you know, Thurman Thomas or, sure, or sure. you know, one, one of them that we talked about the whole week before the game was Martellus Bennett. Yes, six foot seven, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know they were writing about him in the paper. They were having him on TV and everything. And he was a day leaf Taylor, and we officiated that game. And I remember just. We couldn't wait to get on the field to see this guy. Yeah. And and the interesting thing was the tackle beside him was six foot seven. So here you had, you know, Martellus Bennett, six foot seven, and, and that guy. And, and I, you know, we couldn't help but, you know, we, we had to say, you know, okay, we've got to watch this guy. You know, they're going to be holding him. They're going to be doing all kinds of things like that. And so we do talk about it a little bit ahead of time. We're sure. aware of the records. 
you know, I'll get you a funny story here in a minute, but, uh, you know, we, we stood out there and just, you know, we're just un, amazed at the size of that guy, you know, high school guy and, and how dominant he was. And of course, everybody was already talking about him going pro at, even when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. And then the thing I couldn't believe is the tackle beside him was six foot seven. Uh, <clears throat> the team they had was size, but, uh, no, we, we do ahead of time. And, and, uh, the funny story I had, and I, I think I wrote it down as a, a funny story, is early, in, fairly early in my career, we were officiating, a, I think it was 3A, and it was Palacios was playing, a, not even Nederland or somebody like that. And one of the teams, Palacios was one and nine, and Nederland was nine and one. So you knew how that game was going to go. And the, the referee usually would go in and talk to both coaches before the, the game. And then he'd come in and he'd tell, okay, here's what the coaches are saying. And they run this particular play and, you know, that kind of thing. So the referee came in and he says, oh, you're not going to have to worry about tonight. That flash coach is hilarious. Oh, he said, just get this game over with. We're one and nine. You know, we don't care. Just run the clock as much as you can. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. He said, the guy's hilarious. You're going to have an easy night. I said, yeah. oh, cool. You know, I'm not going to have a cup. Well, from the opening kickoff, that coach and his assistants were on me, just screaming at me, wow. you know, yeah. complaining about everything. And uh, late in the game, the end of the third quarter, and as officials, we always mark the chain with a yard line on a chain, and we write down on our card, you know, and it was like, you know, I forget, third and eight or something like that. Mm-hmm. Then we run to the other end of the field and we put the chain down and we make sure we, you know, everything's the same. So I flipped sides. Well, uh, and it was, it was actually, it was third and 13 and I flipped sides. And so we're getting ready to start the fourth quarter and here comes a head coach and his team and they're screaming at me. It was third and eight on the other end of the field. And now you got a third and 13. I said, coach, no, uh, it was third and 13. That's what it is. No, you're cheating us. He just starts screaming at me. He and his assistants. I said, Coach, back off. I got it right. It's third and, third and 13. No, you're not. You're cheating us. I said, Coach, back off. He didn't. So I flagged him. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, the, the referee was just amazed. He says, this is the nicest coach I've ever seen. What are you flagging that coach for? Huh. So the referee comes running over to check on what the flag was and what's going on. And he turned to the coach and the coach says, Mr. Referee, I'm totally confused. We were having conversations with this nice young official about wow, and he totally changed personality. Wow! So he was playing everybody. He's Doctor yeah, Jack, Mister Hyde. Yeah, playing. yeah. Wow! And the referee looked at me like, "What have you just done? This is the nicest coach in the world. You just fight." Two faced, <laughs> little two faced there. Yeah. yeah. So I get it. So he's actually he's. If you would have talked to the other headlinesmen from you know they would know what the truth is right but yeah. he's he's really sweet to the white hat yeah. <laughs> every week so I yeah. see what he did yeah. God that that is funny and that that's the game within the game that's yeah. the kind of stuff I'm so interested in these these head coaches there there are little little tactical things that you can do as far as interacting with officials yeah. so that's very interesting you know that that he took that that uh that bent on it that, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, but okay. So you met, you mentioned Martellus Bennett, and you also, of course, Michael Bennett, his brother. You know, I guess maybe a year or so after you know yep. after there at A Leaf Taylor, and then this is the last one on the list, and the one that I'm just so interested in, Vince Young from Houston, Madison. Oh boy, I have those memories. He and I are the same grade. We're both class of 2002, and so I I was in I was invited to that you know Greater Houston Football Coach Association Say No to Drugs poster that they put out every year, and so I have it hanging up in my garage. 
me and Vin, I'm in there. And then at the top row is Vince Young. Cause he was six foot five. Um, but I remember going to watch him in the Astrodome and that run that they had and that them playing Katie and him just taking over that game. And so just, I got to ask you, what was it like officiating Vince Young in high school? Well, it wasn't again. Now somebody, I was a photographer. I'm sorry. This is photography. I was, I was on the field when he was at Texas. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, in fact, you know, it was funny. I wanted to make sure I had all the names spelled correctly and, and everything. And I went to Wikipedia last night uh, to look up, you know, <clears throat> I wasn't sure it was Madison High School. I was pretty sure it was, but I wanted to make sure it was Madison. Mm-hmm. I went to Wikipedia. And when I went to Wikipedia, you know, you click on his high school career <clears throat> or his, his career. And it po- popped up. And one of the pictures on Wikipedia is a picture I took of him. And they actually wow. gave me credit underneath it. You oh, know, wow. Picture by, picture by Keith Johnston. Uh, but that, you know, watching him dominate, you know, of course he, he dominated Rice and he, and he dominated uh, Colorado when they played him in the, in the Cotton Bowl for the, the conference championship. But uh, no, it was, it was just being on the field with somebody like that and, you know, walking up and down the sidelines behind him and, and knowing how good he was and how good he was going to be was kind of, kind of cool. No doubt. You know, that certain players just have that it factor. You know, people talk about like whenever Michael Jordan walks into a room, I've heard several people say this. It's almost like he's like glowing. Like I've heard people seriously say this, that he just has this kind of aura about him. Vince Young at that time, especially at the high school level, for sure. And then even Texas, he had that. He's had that it factor to where I've uh, Chris Fisher is one of our team player podcast alums, and he's a big Texas fan. He just said when when Vince was there, I never thought we were going to lose. Even if we're losing, you just kind of felt like Vince is going to bring us back. And and sure enough, you know. Well, you were probably, you know, you, that, that game in the Astrodome, I think it was it was Madison versus North Shore. And it ended up like 61 to 60. And I that couldn't was, go to that one. I oh. was unable to go that night for some reason. And I just want, I, I want to get a video of that game. I just, I don't know if where I can procure it, but I, I'd love to rewatch that game. I went, went to that game with Don Taylor. And wow. we stood up there and just, you know, I mean, most unbelievable high school game I think I've ever seen. Well, let, wow. let's go through. You, you got a couple more funny stories listed here. So I want to make sure we don't miss these. because okay. I'm very curious because you're, they're very uh, mysterious of some of the ones you've listed here. So I, I'm, you know, I don't know exactly okay. what they are, but we, we talked about Casey Hampton, you know, when he did turn out to be an All-American. Mm-hmm. You have here penalizing a player for kissing a cheerleader. <laughs> I can't wait to hear this one, Keith. Well, you know, they, uh, they passed a rule. I can't remember when it was that you can't take the ball off the field, you know, after a play or whatever, you've got to get the ball immediately back to the official or, or put it on the ground. So we were officiating a game and it was a two A or three A game outside of Houston. And uh, actually I didn't throw the flag Our back judge, Jimmy Bruce threw the flag, but the player scored a touchdown and immediately he ran off the field with a football and ran over and kissed a cheerleader. That's and Jimmy awesome. threw Jimmy threw his flag. That's awesome. <laughs> and the coach went crazy, but he said, "Hey, he took the took the ball off the field. That's a penalty." You know, Jimmy didn't hesitate. He just immediately flagged the guy and and uh, going over and kissing the cheerleader. That's great. I love it. I love it. Now the next one, you got the Palacios coaches. We talked about that. They yeah. were kind of they were kind of like that little scheme going there where they were showing one front to the, the white hat and being different to you. You have Sean Rogers on here. We talked about him. We didn't actually go into the story. Was there a Sean Rogers story? Yeah, there was. And, and, you know, very respectful. I was telling somebody the story the other day and they said, and they said that, you know, shows how much respect he had. 
Sean Rogers played for Laporte, and his yep. head coach was Forrest Wiegand. Okay. And Forrest Wiegand had been an All-American offensive tackle at the University of Texas and had, you know, really a, a first-class guy. Well, Laporte, I was on, you know, the sideline, like I said, and, and Laporte drove down. can't remember who they were playing, but uh, they gave the ball to a little scat back, number three, and he dove into the end zone right in front of me. Okay, so I'm up with a touchdown. Well, he gets up pulls the ball in the air, starts shaking and starts kind of dancing yeah. in the end zone. Well, that's celebration. And it was yeah. after the celebration. So I flagged him. Yeah. Well, uh, they, ba- they backed him up, you know, so they backed up 15 yards on the, on the extra point. Mm-hmm. Well, then Sean Rogers, who was a captain of the team, he comes over to me and wow. he says, coach Wigand wants to know what number three do. Yeah. And I said, well, I flagged him for, for dancing in the end zone. He says, okay. He runs over, you know, and, and Sean Rogers, six five, six six. you know, he's looking down on me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at the time in high school, he's probably 260, 270, something like right. that. So he runs over to the sideline and Wigand turns around. You can see he just explodes on this number three. <laughs> so then you have the kickoff and a couple of plays later, Sean Rogers comes walking up to me and he says, number three is going to be doing no more dancing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh that's and a great was, i like that story that's a great story yeah, it was a cool story, cool story. man that, that's cool i mean and sean Rodgers, of course played at texas you know so a lot of texas fans probably enjoy hearing that little tidbit yeah. about their star player there okay we're getting close here we got a couple more the woodlands high school sophomore game penalty. i love your little cryptic descriptions here i can't wait to hear what this one is woodlands high school sophomore game penalties well, uh, I was I was referee in this game, and it was Woodlands was playing Conroe, and it was a sophomore game, and it was a huge rivalry. I mean, these teams hated each other uh, because they were right next to each other and everything. Well, we were I was referee. I'm in the backfield. Uh, Woodlands had the ball. That it was a, a fourth down, and uh, so they they uh, or actually it was third down. Third down, they were backed on about their own ten yard line, so they. Halfback got the ball and he quick kicked it. And as soon as he quick kicked it, somebody flattened it. So I threw the flag, roughing the kicker. Well, ball goes downfield, you know, goes about the 50 yard line, whatever. Um, and the coach for Conroe, he starts going crazy. And he starts yelling at the coach, at the referee, and at the official on the sideline. He says, you know, that was a quick kick. You can't have roughing the kicker on the quick kick. So they're going back and forth. And finally, the official on the sideline calls timeout and he calls me over and he says, the coach is upset. He wants to talk to you. So I went over there and uh, the coach says, uh, that was a quick kick. And I says, yes, sir, it was. He says, you can't have roughing the kicker on quick kick. And I says, yes, sir, you can. If it's obvious the guy's going to kick the ball, which it was, and he kicks it and he gets hit, that's roughing the kicker. He says, no, that's wrong. And he gets, and we, we were going back and forth. And finally, the other official said, he thought he was going to calm things down. He says, well, coach, it was a judgment call. Mm-hmm. And so the coach says, looks at me, he says, well, your judgment sucks. Wow. I said, whoop, that's another 15. Yeah. So, so I marked off another 15. And then one of the players for Conroe told me what he thought of it. So we went another 15. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny part was that was the sophomore B team. The next, wow. one, was, the next one was the sophomore A team. Yeah. And I had to officiate that one too. So I knew, and it was a different set of coaches, but I knew, oh, you know, I'm going to go up to talk to these coaches before the game and they're going to get on me about that. They're just yeah. going to rip me apart. 
So I walked up to the other coaches, the Conroe coaches, and they turned around, big smile on his face. And one coach says, that other coach didn't know you could have rough in the kicker on a quick kick, did he? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, he didn't. He said, I learned my lesson last year. That's awesome. Oh, I love it. I love it. How, you know, you thought it was going to be terrible, but it turned out to not be so bad. They yeah, had a good sense yeah, of humor about it. Yeah. We talked about the Oxford-Cambridge game in England. That was a great story about how that wasn't – that was like junior high level football in that one. A playoff game in Temple. This one brings up almost like PTSD for me because we lost the playoff game to Temple when I was at Ridgepoint on a last-second field goal. So I'm curious, what's the, what's the playoff game in Temple story? <laughs> I hope it wasn't the same game. Uh, <laughs> no, we were – the game got – it was it was kind of lopsided at first, and then I think Temple was the home team, and, and they – they, uh, they were behind by two or three touchdowns, and then they started coming back. They scored one, then they scored another. And the second time they scored, the game was now beginning to get close. And uh, they lined up for the extra point. And I'm under one of the goalposts, and the other officials on the other goalposts. And the, uh, they kicked the extra point, and it was just a line drive. You know, and, and I've got to determine, is go between the uprights, yeah. and did it go over the crossbar? Well, it was usually, you know, they kick them high and looping. Mm -hmm. Well, this was a line drive yeah. and it went just like a bullet. And I didn't see whether it went over the crossbar or not. Yeah. And I looked over to Jimmy Bruce, the other official, and I looked to him for help and he kind of shrugged his shoulders. Oh yeah. You both. Yeah. So I waved it off. And uh, to my day, this day, I don't know whether it went over <laughs> or not. But fortunately, it wasn't deciding, you know, the other team came back, scored another touchdown. But I thought it was going to be a deciding factor in the game. And boy, you would talk about sweating bullets. You know, and th this is why I'm, it's so cool. That's why I wanted to take all this time to talk about all these stories, because it's cool to hear an official's perspective. You're the first, you're making team player podcast history. You're the first ever official we brought on the show. And I want to do more because you guys are so pivotal in our game, but that's, that's the human element. And the reality is sometimes you don't know. Yeah. You, you missed it. You missed it. You don't know. Yeah. And you, like, that's a reality, right? Is sometimes you just got to guess. And I know it sucks for the fans and the coaches, but I mean, it, we're humans, yeah. you know? So yeah, I'm just curious. Any, any th other thoughts you had about that, but I totally sympathize with what happened there. And it. Yeah, no. And it happens all the time. And I mean, and it, we don't have time sometime, most time to explain to the coach. And, and of course, a lot of times, you know, I, coaches, one position on the field and I'm on another, I may have a 300 pound lineman in front of me when a guy grabs a face mask on the other side of him. Sure. I, I can't see through that guy. Right. You know, and, and of course the coach sees it plain as day. You know, why didn't you call that face mask? I, I can't say, well, you, you know, your 300 pound lineman was standing in front of me. Uh, they don't accept that a lot of times. All they saw is what they saw. And uh, so you, you miss a call or you guess or, those kind of things. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you've got another official that's got a better angle. And, and that's why, you know, good communication, you, you, uh, you talk to the other officials. I've got another quick, funny story. Uh, I was photographing a game between Katie and the Woodlands. It was the opening game of the, of the season. Uh, actually, the athletic director at Woodlands at that time was a guy named Wendell Willig, who is an Austin College Hall of Fame. Absolutely. From the, yep. from the early 60s. Yep. And uh, so I was talking to Wendell before the game because he knew me and, and they had one of the top rated officiating teams in, in, the, uh, in the city was officiating that game because it was Woodlands versus Katie. I mean, two, two powerhouses. And I noticed that their uh, back judge, I think he was in the hospital actually. And, and so he had a substitute in back judge. 
Well, one thing that's is true to mo most officiating crews, all the officials have a good grasp of the rules, but you, there's usually one guy in the crew that really understands the rules. Sure. He, he just knows them cold. Well, in this particular crew, it was their back judge, and he wasn't there that day. Mm. Well, there was a punt right before halftime, and I can't remember the exact play, but, but there were two or three flags on the play, and the referee runs down, and he talks to one guy and signals, and he penalizes 15 yards. Well, then the coach of the other team starts screaming. So he goes over and talks to that coach, goes back and talks to the other guy, waves his arm, goes back another 15 yards. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I could tell by their body motion and the fact that I knew their rules guy wasn't there. Yeah. And when, Wendell walked up to me, he says, what's going on? And I says, they forgot the rule. Yeah. And he says, yeah. you're kidding me. I says, no, the rules guy's not there. I says, they forgot the rule. Yeah. And so he said, and so I went in, they, they went in halftime and I, the officials knew me and they, they liked the fact that I was taking pictures of them. So I went in halftime and I said, what happened out there, guys? You forgot the rule. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, I get it. I get it. You know, and it, I know some people are going to say, you know, officials have to be held to this incredible stand, but we're all human beings. Yeah. Coaches have made wrong calls. I mean, it's going to happen. So that, that's, that, that's the reality of it. So no, totally get that. And then the last story you have here, your flag at the St. John's game. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, we were, we were doing the St. John's game, which was not too far from my house in mm -hmm. West university. And it was a wet, muddy, muddy game. And the coaches were, I was on St. John's sideline and they were giving me a tough time. You know, they, yeah. I wasn't doing, we weren't doing anything right. as a crew. That's the well, one common denominator, right? Whether it's rural Palacios or extremely wealthy St. John's private school or big Houston public school or inner city school, all the coaches are giving you the business. That's the, yeah. that's the one common denominator. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> anyway, so they were, they were giving me a tough time and it was yeah. just, you know, miserable wet game and everything. Well, the uh, St. John's had the ball. They had fourth and about two. And so they ran the ball up the middle. The guy hit the ground and he hit the ground short of the first down. And mm -hmm. it was my job to catch the first down. And then he slid for about a yard mm -hmm. because it was muddy, wet field. So I spotted the ball. We brought the chains in and measured it, and he ended up being, you know, six or seven inches short of a first down. Well, St. John's just exploded. You know, I moved the ball back. He got up here, you know, and things like yeah. that. So I'm talking to the head coach, and he's yelling at me and everything. And then all of a sudden, one of the assistant coaches starts moving towards me. His teeth are clenched, spits coming out of his mouth. I didn't know what he was saying. Yeah. But he was headed right towards me, and he was mad. And, and so I backed off, and I threw the flag up in the air. And uh, the umpire tells me the story later. They said it was the funniest thing because when that flag dang came down, it landed right between where the coach was and I, <laughs> as if I planned it. <laughs> it came down there. And, uh, you know, I penalized them for unsportsmanlike conduct. And, yeah. uh, and we backed it up. But uh, I'd had enough of the, the crew, you know, the whole coaching staff. Sure. I was trying to deal with them. And then when he came at me like that, I just, you know, backed up. But, but, yeah, uh, our our umpire still tells that story today of how funny it was that that flag just landed right on the ground right between the two of us. That's awesome, and I, I'm sure that that head coach was incensed because a lot of head coaches, you know, they tell say say hey, I talk to the official, just yeah. me, just the head man. You guys, you guys keep your mouth shut, you stay back because that's what'll happen. You start right. seeing these assistants running up on you, and you, I get it, man. You had to feel so overwhelmed. You got all these people in your face of i don't blame you at all for throwing that flag yeah. and i agree. i think assistants should not talk to officials that's just my 
that's my belief. There should be one voice talking to that official only. And that's the head head man or woman of that, of that program. So man, love it. Let's, let's, uh, let me ask you this. You know, I always, I always say I want parents to listen to this show. And so this portion, I always ask like kind of advice for parents. I've seen videos, Keith, of umpire baseball umpires, particularly getting assaulted by little league parents. I mean, punched in the face, you know, attacked. And I'm just like, what are we doing? What are we doing in sport in society? If, if you're going to attack someone, I read an article. It was more of like an adult league, but it wasn't like high school, but like adult league soccer recently. There was a man that lost his life. There was a fight that ensued after a disagreement about a call. And this, this, this man passed away a couple of days later from the injuries, from the fight and the scuffle. What are we doing? You know? And so I ask, you know, now that I'm broadcasting, I'm in the stands a little bit more. I'm in the press box. Like when I was on the sideline, you can't hear it quite so much. But when I see parents berating officials, especially in this little league culture where it's a quiet stadium, you can hear every single thing that's coming out of the, and it's just constant screaming at umpires. And we have an official shortage. Duh. You know, who would want to subject themselves to for any amount of money? Just people just screaming at you for three hours when all you're trying to do is let these kids play ball. So that, that really gets me, Keith, it really just grinds my gears, you know? And so I'm just curious for you, you've, you've been through it. You've officiated for a long time. I don't know why parents do that. Like I, I recently became a father. I've, I've pledged to myself, like, I'm not going to be that dad ever. I'm going to respect officials. I'm going to teach my son to thank the officials after the game for what they thank you, sir. Thank you for officiating. But what would you tell a parent? Cause I think whenever they do that stuff and they learn to blame officials for everything, it's going to seep down to their kids and their kids are going to start blaming officials and blaming people for what went wrong instead of looking internally. What advice would you give a parent as to how to interact with officials? And, you know, just because we need officials, you're so important to the integrity of the game. What advice do you have for parents that are, that are bad sports parents? You know, that's a good question. And I guess one thing to say is, you know, put yourself in our shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, would you want to be out here doing that? And if not, why? Uh, it's, it's a, you know, sometimes I'd ask, I'd ask parents, um, uh, you know, how well do you know the rules? Uh, do you understand what we, we did out there? But, but I think as much of an, the other thing is, in most cases, and I've seen a number of cases where parents have lost it, particularly, you know, little league, peewee games, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And the, the key, you're embarrassing the kids. Yeah. When, the, when the parents go berserk, the kids are over there hiding, huddling, trying to get away from, from their parent yeah, who's screaming at, at the official. You know, and, and think about, you know, the, you may think you're defending your kids, but you're not. You're embarrassing them in a lot of cases. Um, you know, getting back to what you said earlier, we're human, you know. Uh, I'm sorry if I missed a call. I apologize. Um, but, uh, you know, you, one of the first, within the first couple of years I started officiating, I saw one of the most horrific things I've ever seen, or or, turns out it wasn't horrific because the police handled it well. But I was doing a little league game at Fun Stadium on on Bissonette Drive in in Houston. Mm. I don't know if you've ever seen Fun Stadium, but it's just, they've got a full stadium there just for little league football. I mean, maybe torn down now. I don't know. Sure. But I was on the- the How do you spell that, Keith? F-U-N, like fun? F-U-N, Fun Stadium. I think it's on Bissonette in Houston. Anyway. the uh, the final score was seventy two to nothing. Oh my goodness! And I was on the losing team sideline, and there started to be fights in the stands. Uh, 
between the parents. And when the game was over, they uh, said, nobody leaves the stadium until you are told to. And they asked us to leave first. And we went out and got in our cars. The police cars showed up. And then they, they tried to get the individual teams with their families to leave separately rather than together so there wouldn't be any fights in the parking lot. But I'd never seen anything like that before. I mean, I could see that the confrontation was not against the officials. It was more parents against parents sure, sure. Uh, in the stands. But, you know, it's a game. <laughs> and, you know, a, a peewee game on, on top of that. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I also witnessed some of those peewee games and coaches horribly berating their players. Sure. You know, eight, nine-year-old kids out there, yep. and, and they're talking to them like they're NFL players and uh, calling them disgusting names and things like that. And, and I think, you know, parents need to be careful who they pick as their coaches, uh, too. You know, you're out there to teach the kids the game and have fun. Uh, it's not a life or death situation. But uh, unfortunately, I guess, you know, that's kind of been, become part of our culture. It's, it's been that way for a while. <laughs> I, I understand what you're saying. And I looked it up and yes, fun stadium. It still exists. It's, yeah. I, I looked, I didn't realize it's right near Bel Air yeah. high school. Like you described there, yeah. I'm the So pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool. So yeah. I mean, again, what are we doing here if we're getting into fights about this? And so I, I'm excited for my son. I hope he wants to play sports and I'm excited to support him, but I'm, I'm kind of dreading interacting with other parents. You know, if my background is a, as a high level coach, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to tolerate some of the, you know, ignorant things I hear from my, you know, some of the fellow team parents, you know, I'm already kind of dreading that portion, but um, you know, the story I always like to tell is about Bucky Richardson. I'm sure you know, that name as a football yeah. fan, the legendary Aggie quarterback. We coached his son, John Paul, whenever he was uh, at Ridge point and it, John Paul had a great freshman season at Oklahoma state this year as a receiver. And coach Sniffin on his episode tells the story of Bucky Richardson. Talk about putting your money where your mouth is and being a great sports parent. He volunteered his time to start a youth football league. And he would bring his coaches in and they would clinic with us in the Ridgepoint field house. And they were positive people, you know, because you're right. You know, that a lot of us that played football at a high level, we're, we we're weary of peewee football because I don't want some coach making my seven-year-old do shotgun alley and yelling at him and telling him to smash heads like that. I don't, I don't want that for my son ever, you know? So, yeah. but Bucky did it the right way. And coach Sniffin talked about how he never wants questioned anything as far as play calling or anything at all. It was always just coach. What can I do to help? And that was it, you know, so kudos to Bucky Rich. And I think, like you said, you see that a lot. The guys that were professional athletes or collegiate athletes or high level high school athletes, a lot of times they kind of get it. They understand what sports is about. So they're, they're great. Sometimes it is the parent that maybe is, is still hung up on, on whatever and still just angry about something and they bring it into these games. And that's why maybe these fight like what you described. So really sad to hear that, but we're kind of coming towards the end of the show. Now it is time for everybody's favorite portion of the show. We have arrived at the start bench cut portion as always brought to us by our good friends at the MVP marketing group, a turnkey marketing solution for schools, longtime Denton Ryan head football coach. And now the AD at Denton ISD, Joey Florence, he's a customer. And basically what the MVP marketing group does is, is they'll help you attract corporate sponsorships. 
to, to, you know, funnel money into your program, partner with you. Is this another way to generate revenue for your athletic programs? Mike Boglar is a CEO. He's a good friend of mine. We work together at Dactronics. Now he started his own marketing firm. Just give him a call. His info is in the show notes. You can shoot him an email and Mike will just talk to you, see if his services are a good fit for you. And if they are, he's going to give you a team player podcast discount. So please give, give Mike a call and, and just see if that, if that service will benefit your program. All right, Keith. So typically, you know, we do the start bench cut, but for you, you just have so much knowledge and history. I, I wanted to make it more open-ended for you. So rather than start bench cut, I, I sometimes do a Mount Rushmore option. And so that's what I've decided to do today. I've elected to go up to Mount Rushmore, Keith. So I'd love to hear your Mount Rushmore. So that's your top four for the Canadian Football League. Top four for the Canadian Football League. Well, being a lineman, one of the has to be a lineman. I love it. And I picked, uh, unfortunately, as a defensive lineman, but that's okay. <laughs> the enemy. The enemy. Angelo Mosca. Okay. Uh, he played uh, for the Hamilton Tiger Cats mostly. He, all, he had a little stint with the uh, Ottawa Rough Riders or Ottawa Red Blacks now. Mm -hmm. But uh, he played for about 10 or 12 years in, in the CFL and uh, was uh, named to the Hall of Fame CFL. So okay. that's one. Good start. Number two, uh, somebody we all know, particularly uh, from coming from Houston, Warren Moon. Warren Moon. Warren Moon, Edmonton Eskimos, and I, if I recall correctly, uh, he took them to five straight uh, CFL championships uh, before deciding to move south and become the quarterback uh, for the Houston Oilers. Absolutely. The next two, uh, two you've probably never heard of. Okay. But one that I saw and whose name stuck in my mind, his name is Garney Henley. Okay. Garney Henley played for 16 years in CFL. He was an all-star nine times out of that 16 wow. years. He was a defensive back and a receiver. Uh, he finished his career mostly as a receiver. He was the uh, CFL most outstanding player in 1972 when uh, mm -hmm. Hamilton Tiger Cats won the Grey Cup that year. And I think that was the year I actually saw him play because I was in Hamilton in 1972. Yeah, yeah. Master University. And uh, number four, again, somebody you may not have ever heard of, uh, and I'll save the punchline here to the end, <laughs> Russ, Russ Jackson. Okay. Russ Jackson played for the Ottawa Rough Riders from 1958 to 1969. He was three-time Grey Cup champion during that time. Uh, Three-time CFL Most Outstanding Player, uh, Grey Cup MVP in 1969, uh, three-time CFL All-Star, and uh, the key thing is he got his degree from McMaster University in Hamilton, where he was a multi-sport athlete. Wow, okay. There you go. So uh, you know, a fellow McMaster alum there. Yeah, and he was a quarterback for the Ottawa Rough Riders. Very cool. No, that was that was really cool, and I... I I totally agree with the Warren. I mean, obviously Warren Moon is the one that, that definitely resonates with me, but I noticed a, a big omission. You selected Warren Moon over Doug Flutie, who's also a very famous, you know, American quarterback. So just curious, you know, and I, I agree with you. I, I think Warren Moon is, is ex extremely underrated, in my opinion. But what what was it about Warren's career that, that you, you chose to, to go that direction rather than Doug Flutie? I, I think it was five straight or five yeah, uh, great yeah. cup championships. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's unprecedented in the, in the history. And I, I wrestled with it for a while because I'm mean, Doug Flutie's name comes to mind and then uh, Toronto Argonaut and all that. But, uh, but when I sat down, I said, you know, you, you can't 
deny what he did with the Edmonton no Eskimos. It was it was unbelievable. No doubt. You know, in the Canadian Football League, I guess you could kind of classify it as what you want to call like a it's it's kind of like a spring league in a sense. Like it starts in our summertime and then continues on into the fall. But you know, it's 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 different than the NFL. It's going on right now. I mean, in the right. summertime. Oh, yeah. so I like that about that. I, I can watch CFL during the summer and kind of get my football fix. But to me, where the CFL is different than other non-NFL leagues like the USFL or the XFL or all those different leagues, the CFL has staying power. These clubs, I mean, you, you mentioned the Rough Riders. I mean, they they started in the 1800s, I believe, <laughs> you know, and so they're now reincarnated as the Red Blacks. But several of those teams have been around for a long time. And yes, there was some expansion. You know, remember the Baltimore Stallions. There yeah. were teams in the U.S. It didn't last very long. But those core nine teams that now make up the current CFL, they've been there for a long time. So I long think, time. you know, and so I don't consider – it's not minor league football to me. You know, it's different. It's different than XFL and USFL that have had shorter lives. Like the CFL yeah. has so much traditions. I'm just curious, you know, you grew up with it. What's, can you give American listeners kind of the, a feeling for how much tradition and pride there is in the CFL? Well, I, I think you've kind of hit it. I mean, it's been around for so many years and, and uh, there's not that many teams. So it's, there's a lot of, I don't know, I guess rivalry between the different yeah. cities in Canada, like there are down here. And uh, so they're all, you know, got a lot of, a lot of history, a lot of pride, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, great cup championships they can all re reference to over the years and, you know, rivalries. I mean, Calgary and Edmonton, big rivalry, Sure. Uh, uh, Toronto and Hamilton, you know, they're 60 miles apart, huge rivalry there. Um, BC, you know, probably a rival with Saskatchewan, uh -huh. but they, they've all got their, their rivalries, Ottawa and Montreal. Yep. Uh, because of the proximity to each other, uh, that kind of thing they've developed over time. And, and there's a lot of loyalty. I mean, you, you nailed it the other day. I mean, Saskatchewan Rough Riders and those loyal fans. Absolutely. Absolutely. Unbelievable. Um, so, uh, Regina to uh, Regina to Ottawa is not a quick trip. I mean, you could probably tell no. me this. I mean, they, uh, they were there. I mean, that's, that's the thing. I mean, you go from, from, uh, BC from Vancouver to Montreal, you're talking 3,500 miles. Sure. Uh, it's, there are huge distances there. So yeah, you, you, that game you were referencing, I mean, the people traveled from Regina to, to Montreal for that game. I mean, that's, that's a huge distance. Um, but they're extremely loyal fans. Speaking, uh, speaking of distances, Keith, one more question I had for you, because I've actually really started following the CFL now that I'm out of coaching and I'm in the more meet, I have more time in the evenings to kind of follow sports. And so I, I just, mm -hmm. I've been following the CFL a lot more. One thing that's kind of coming up in the news is speaking of distance, the CFL is considering their first venture into the maritime provinces. So going truly coast to coast from Vancouver, all the way out into the maritimes. And this was a team and you, you may know this history better than me, but the research I did was the Atlantic schooners were a proposed CFL team, but at the last minute, the funding fell through for the stadium. And so they never they never actually competed, the Atlantic Schooners. But there is talks of reviving that. And I don't know if it's going to be in Halifax, Nova Scotia, or in Moncton, or where exactly. But there is talks. And so I'm just curious, as a Canadian, I don't know if you've ever kind of went out east to the Maritimes or if you have a feel for that. But do you think, knowing your, your background of the CFL, do you think that professional football can survive in the Maritime provinces? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've only been out, out there one time. Uh, I went to Prince Edward Island with actually a guy who was one of my best friends. Uh, 
he played for a rival school when I was at McMaster, but he lived in Hamilton and we met each other in the gym during the yeah. summer working out and, and he and I have been best friends for yeah. ever since then for years. Uh, you should get a copy of my book today. Oh, and uh, uh, in the, the front of the book, I mentioned him because he was key to me helping find a lot of those players because his team won the Canadian championship, uh, the college Canadian championship that year. They only had a couple of losses and one was to us, but, <laughs> but uh, I went with he and his wife, my wife and I went with he and his wife out to Prince Edward Island. And I also, I went to Nova Scotia a few years ago. I don't know, uh, James, I, I don't see the same kind of, of loyalty out there, but then sure. again, um, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of ethnic groups spread around Canada too. Sure. Yeah, I mean, in Montreal, you got the French, and and uh, you've got, particularly in the Maritimes, you've got a lot of uh, people that are very strong ties to to um, some of the European countries. Interesting. So, yeah, I did not know that. Okay, did I did not know that? Yeah, I've always that's a part of. I've only been to Ottawa and Montreal, so I do. I definitely the Maritimes. I've heard is just beautiful. Oh yeah. So I almost yeah. kind of wonder: is it more of like a touristy vacation kind of area and maybe they don't in addition to what you said they may not have the the numbers and the fans yeah, to support the populations you know are very low out there sure uh, yeah i mean halifax is probably one of the larger cities uh and, and i got to visit halifax a few years ago and and took a lot of pictures while i was out there no yeah. surprise but uh i don't you know i didn't get to know the people well enough and it is a, a very rural kind of, well of course saskatchewan's very rural as well uh, sure. They've got some couple of big cities in Regina and Saskatoon. Sure, sure. Um, and they've got Halifax out there, which is a fairly large city. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting. Interesting. It, it, that'll be cool because I mean, like you said, the the composition of those nine teams has been around for a very long time. There's very little expansion or anything of that nature. You know, bringing back the Red Blacks in Ottawa because the, the Rough Riders did go through a, kind of a bad phase where they did lose their team for a period, but. It's interesting because it's also kind of, it's an uneven split, right? Currently it's a nine team, which is a little bit unusual. Yeah. So you have, you know, yeah. uh, I believe five teams in the West and four in the East. I believe I'm not sure. I may have that backwards, but no, that's, no. I think that's right. You got Vancouver, or BC, Calgary, Edmonton, Saskatchewan, mm -hmm. and uh, Manitoba, Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Yeah. So they, they changed the playoff uh, system to compensate for that. I can't, articulate exactly I, actually yes and I, I was going to bring that up keith because i was reading about this and that's one thing I, another we we're talking about the cool things in the cfl that we like like little rules one thing i like they have a they have a thing called crossover and so basically the traditional playoff structure is top two from each division make it right. however if the third place team in the stronger division has a better record than the second place team they can take their spot you see so essentially they have it built in to where if there's three teams that are really good in the East and only one team that's good in the West, like it'll, it'll yeah. count for that, which yeah. I think is brilliant. I just, I love that. I really do. So I just think the CFL, it's just such an intelligent league. There's so many nice little nuances. And so it's a great follow. So, you know, I enjoyed watching the USFL this summer a little bit. We saw, you know, Larry Fedora, our Austin college guy coaching the New Orleans breakers, which is kind of cool. But uh, if, if, if you're looking for summer football, I'm telling you, give the CFL a shot. It it really is a nice little league. So. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch. Yep. Okay. So that's that's we're gonna put the CFL portion to rest. And now I know this this school is so near and dear to your heart. You are an Austin College, you know, legend. <laughs> Literally, you you've been <laughs> inducted into our into our legends uh, group there at Austin College. So I'm curious. You have so many names. I'm sure you could pick from. I 
I know this is probably a difficult decision, but I'm going to ask you for your personal Mount Rushmore of Austin College Kangaroos. Well, I'm going to fudge. I'm going to give you seven. I couldn't come down. That's fair. No worries. Not that, yeah. <laughs> no and, worries. You know, going through it, you know, there have been a lot of All Americans at Austin College over the years. And I expect there's probably been a dozen or more have a crack at the, at the NFL mm. and some at the CFL. I'll tell you about yeah. one in a minute, that both. But, you know, that kind of became a criteria for, for differentiating. I'm going to start with Gene Babb. Yes. Gene Babb, yep. uh, six years in the NFL, I think two years with your uh, San Francisco, two years with the Cowboys and a couple of years with the Houston Oilers. So I don't know of any other Austin College football player that's played for six years in the NFL. Right. Absolutely. And, and Bab also, uh, later on in his career, he became the coordinator of the, um, re, the not the recruiting, but the, the combine mm. that the NFL does every year. And Gene became the coordinator of that, bringing all the players together in there and having all the teams wow. in Indianapolis. Very cool. Uh, he coached for a few years. He was a coach at Austin College when I was there. And so he's got to be on the list. I mean, Absolutely. I don't know any other uh, Austin College. Uh, number two, Bo Miller. Mm. Uh, Bo Miller had all the all, total offensive records and I think total passing records for about 60 years at Austin College. Great influence on us. He played, I think his last year was 61, first team All-American. Um, and he was at every home game that I was there when I was there and, and he continued on. I think he was on the board of directors at Austin College, but highly influential mm -hmm. and, and holding records for 60 or 70 years. You can't, can't be that. Sure. Uh, a guy that I had a chance to play with, or actually two, Mike Maloney. Mike Maloney held the rushing record at Austin College until Aaron Kernick broke it just about seven or eight years ago. I forget how long ago it was. And I think uh, I looked it up today, and it was 2,700 yards, uh, 790 yards, something like that was was his season, his yeah. career rushing. And in the the nice thing about it, I've kind of got a, a indirect mention in the uh, in the uh, record book. His greatest game was 235 yards against Colorado College in 1967. That was my freshman year, and that was the, year I, the game I graded 99% on. I was going to ask about that. Was that the 99%er game? Yeah, that was my 99% <laughs> game, and, and uh, Maloney got 235 yards. I love it. Interesting thing about Maloney, he went on and had a tryout with the New York Jets and was one of their later cuts. Uh, a couple of years later, he had a tryout with the uh, – Sorry, I'm getting a phone call. He had a tryout with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yeah. The same year that I was playing for McMaster. You're in the so same I, town. Wow. In the same town. I actually, you know, I mean, the same, they, the Hamilton Tiger Cats stayed in dormitories at McMaster. Wow. During the, during the first part of that season. And, and I went over and I visited with him, introduced him to my buddy that I mentioned a while ago, Doug Sahaki, that, that I played against. Another guy that was on that, trying out for the Hamilton Tiger Cats that same year was Scott Henderson. Mm. And Scott Henderson had never, and I had never met face to face. You know, he went on to Texas and was captain his senior year at Texas. And I think he was named to some All-American teams. But uh, I had to, probably five years in a row, I had to try to block Scott Henderson. Yeah. He was a linebacker. 
And one year when he was in high school, he had a broken bone in his leg and he was still hard to chase down. Yeah. I mean, he covered the whole field. Yeah. And um, there was no surprise that he was successful. But I got to visit with Scott, and, and he and I kind of relived high school days when That's he awesome. was trying out for the Tiger Cats. So, Mike Maloney, uh, a name that one of the greatest natural athletes I've ever seen, Don Fields. Mm. Don Fields still, I think, still holds the record for the most interceptions in a career at Austin College. And I was just looking up the statistics. Uh, Don Fields, his freshman year, was uh, all uh, NAIA District 8. There. We used to be NAIA back in the 60s, and we had, were broken down by districts. And he made the all-District 8 team his freshman year. His sophomore year, he was second-team All-American. His junior year, he was honorable mention on two All-American teams. His senior year, he was second-team second All-American. Incredible. So, you know, four years in a row. Uh, in, incredible athlete. Mm -hmm. And the guys that played high school ball with him said he was a quarterback on the team. He was a defensive back. He was the most unbelievable yeah. athlete. Yeah. And uh, I've got, I'll, I'll share, I don't know if you've ever seen my two films from the 1960s that I've posted on YouTube, but I'll share those with you. Yeah, send them to me. That, absolutely. And one of them, uh, you know, Fields is one of the smoothest runners, players I've ever seen. Anyway, so Don Fields. Do you have the Colorado uh, college game? Do you have the 99% game? Is that no, one? Your... I wish I did. Okay. <laughs> I, I tell you, I've got, I've got the game against William Jewell. Okay. Uh, 1968. We both went into that game undefeated. Wow. We, we played, it was our homecoming. Uh, we got ahead six, nothing on a block punt. They came back and got ahead 10, six final score, AC 48, William Jewell 10. Oh my gosh. I would love to see. I know. I know it's it's a football film, so it's not going to zoom out or anything. But I just kind of would love to see some of Sherman in 1968, or at least you know Apple Stadium. I, I would just kind of love to see it. That'd be very yeah. Cool. It, you don't see much because it's from the sure, stands. But, sure, sure, but, sure. But, and then the other game I've got online uh, too is 1969 game where we came from 20 to nothing and uh, beat Texas Luther, and we were 20 nothing two or three minutes in the fourth quarter, and we won 21 20. That was the Byron Boston game, right? Byron, Where Byron Boston, Boston had to yeah. break. Yeah. Oh, love yeah. to see that. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll share the links to both of those. Byron Boston, by the way, for, for non Austin college alums, listen to the show. Uh, his son, you may, may have heard of him. He got in a, a big shoving match of my guy, Charles Woodson at Michigan. Uh, his son is David Boston, the standout from Ohio state. Uh, got drafted by the Cardinals, I believe in the first round. So yeah, incredible, incredible athlete. He's from Houston. He went to um, uh, Humble high school here in uh, Northeast Houston. So Shout out to Byron Boston. It's definitely somebody we're going to try to track down. I've already, Keith and I have talked. We're going to try to track him down and bring him on the team player podcast. So we'll, we'll work on By, that. Byron Boston was an official in the NFL yeah, from 19, yep. 1995 to 2019. That would be so cool, Keith. If we could, I would love to talk and just swap stories about NFL guys that he called games he called. That'd just be amazing. I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can track. I think I found his phone number. I'm going to see if I can track him. <laughs> okay. Uh, You've got to put Gene Bronham, mm. uh, 57-yard field goal national championship game. Uh, yeah. Tied the game. Uh, I like you know that, that call right there. That's a great call. That, that team from 1981 was an amazing team. You know, I, I started looking at the, the players, and, you know, Larry Schillings was a quarterback. He was All-American. Rory Dukes, they, you know, they had a great passing game. But, it, I mean, it was a huge team effort. Yeah. And so singling out any one on that team was difficult, but you know, 
57 yard field goal. You got to. To, to, to tie the game, the national championship. You, you got to put Gene Bronham in there. And just to point out that coach David Norman, who we've talked about a lot on this show, he was a member of that team. So yeah. kind of a cool, just cool, cool little piece yeah. of Austin college history there for you. <laughs> okay. And my last two, uh, Aaron Kernick. Yes. Uh, he, he broke all the rushing records. He yeah. also, I think was three years in the NFL. I don't think he ever made it into a game. Correct. Correct. But, uh, he broke all, he broke Maloney's rushing records, uh, I was fortunate enough to see him play. I don't think I had my camera with me that game, unfortunately. But. Yeah. And Aaron yeah. Kernick that actually came up in the Marvin Nash episode. And uh, Marvin said that in the, the inaugural edition of Hard Knocks, when they first did the very first Hard Knocks, they followed the Baltimore Ravens. And that was uh, – Kernick was in camp. And yeah. he said the story was they were going through a drill, and he actually was able to, like – he juked Ray Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> the Hall of Fame uh-huh. inside linebacker, and he, he got him in that drill. And Ray Lewis, just the ultimate competitor, said, "Run it back." We're doing yeah. it again. And Ray Lewis <laughs> thudded him up right in the hole, you know. And so that Marvin was kind of uh, enjoying telling that story. So Aaron Kernick, mm-hmm. little brush of fame there on Hard Knocks. Yeah, wow, I can imagine. And uh, and number seven on my list is Colt Collins. And, okay. Uh, he he broke all of Bo Miller's records. Yeah. Uh, in in you know teams that that. Uh, you know, really struggled. I mean, yeah, I think they struggled to make it five and five. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I spent a lot of time with Colt. Had it not been for COVID, he'd be playing in CFL right now. Wow. Uh, we, uh, I actually lined up three. Uh, okay, so th- this is a newer, I- I'm not familiar. This is a younger. He just graduated last year. Really? Okay. I, see, I've, I have not been down here. I'm unable to follow the way that I like to, but okay. So he, he's a recent graduate. Tell me more. I'm, I'm actually really interested in this one. He broke Bo Miller's total offensive records from 1960. He broke total passing records for Austin College. He holds both those records. Uh, I talked to Colt and I said, how'd you end up at Austin College? And he says, well, I had a couple of offers at some bigger schools. He says, but I wanted to be a lawyer. And the coach told me I'd be starting my freshman year at Austin College, where, you know, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd have struggled at a, at a Division One school. Colt Collins, you said? From, yeah, and I think he's from Princeton, okay. uh, Texas. Yeah, my brother coached at Princeton. I'll have to ask my brother if he recognizes that name. My brother did coach at Princeton uh, for a season there. So, okay. <laughs> Colt Collins. Yeah. I know that Princeton is a, it, it is a pipeline for Austin College. I know my brother was saying there were several Austin College football players up on their kind of alumni yeah. wall. Uh, so, and you know, I know when I was in school, we, we had one of our uh, girls basketball players, Kristen Davis, was from Princeton. And is much smaller at that time. But yeah. uh, Prin- Princeton has always been a nice little pipeline to Austin College, for sure. Well, he, uh, like I said, I, I got a call from, I think it was alum, and I can't remember which one, that said, could you help him get in the CFL? And I connected him with the, the BC Lions, the Calgary Stampeders, the Ottawa Rough Riders, uh, through contacts that I had, some of the guys that, were on that all Canadian team that played for those yeah. teams as we're still connected. And uh, before COVID shut everything down, he had a shot. He had a, a tryout with the Stampeders. Uh, what they do is they, the, those teams will send coaches and scouts down to Texas and they're all the you know, an event in Dallas where they'll invite everybody you know, in, in the Texas area to that, or they'll go down to Houston. Yeah. And a- after his tryout, the scout from Calgary said, you're definitely on a list. We're going to follow up with you. Well, hey. COVID yeah. shut down the COVID. season. Because 
the quarterback for the Stampeders is, is Bo Levi Mitchell, and he's yeah. from Katy. We, you know, I think we kind of touched that. You know, yeah. and he's getting up there. I know he's kind yeah. of nearing retirement age. And I, I am, I am really interested in this because I did not, I am not aware of Colt Collins, and I just pulled him up. Six foot one, two twenty eight. Yeah, six foot one, two hundred twenty eight pound quarterback. And I'm looking at this picture. It's a good two twenty eight. <laughs> I mean, this kid's put together. Uh, so that is that is very cool. I I really want to follow. I hope I I hope he does give it a shot. I know he's got plenty of time to practice law in the future, but I I would love to see him give it a whirl in professional football. You know, and see if he can do it because it sounds like it sounds like he can do it. And I the other thing that I love that you pointed out, Keith, and I've always felt this way. For instance, when you're when you're debating greatest of all time or whatever, I I don't think that Super Bowl wins or championship wins is a definer. You know what I mean? So. Yeah just because you you weren't on a winning team doesn't mean you weren't a great player you know yeah. and so i love that point that you made that yeah maybe he's on a five and five team but he's also re rewriting the record books and he's a great player you know perfect you know and sniffing the canadian football league that's high level football uh so yeah i i love that point that you made about great players on on you know teams that are just kind of more in the middle of the pack yeah but uh anyway apparently too the coaches uh Coach Dawson about him, and he, he said, you know, nicer kid you you're never gonna find. Yeah, just a ter terrific kid, and and uh, entirely very coachable, and obviously very very talented. I probably have some pictures of him because I think I, I and I'll, I'll forward some on to you. Yeah, uh, in action at at Austin College. Well, that was a fun one to end on. It, it's always great hearing the legends like Coach Bab, you know, and but to to end on a what I would consider almost like a current player or like a very recently graduated player. That was fun to kind of look at yeah. the, the Austin college of today and coach Dawson's program and, and coach Norman, you know, leading the whole department, yeah. uh, J.R. Orr, you know, one of my former teammates yeah. is also in that athletic department. So it's just, I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed getting to talk about Colt there for a little bit. And uh, that's a great way to end it. And this has been such a fun episode bringing on someone like yourself that you are a published writer. I mean, you're a wealth of knowledge and you, I am so happy that we were able to just allow you to a platform to share that today. If you enjoyed this as much as I did, please just take the 10 seconds, give us that five-star review. It's, it's extremely important to help more people find this show. You can hit that follow button. That way you'll subscribe to the show and you get a new episode every Sunday at 2 PM. You'll have a new, I'll have a new player podcast, uh, team player podcast waiting for you uh, every Sunday at 2 PM. You can uh, reach out to me on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me. I'm James Kopaleski. You can follow me on Twitter at coach underscore Kovo. That's coach underscore K O V O or reach out at team player podcast at gmail.com. We're homegrown here. This is a one-man operation. I, I don't have any team behind me. It's just me running this. And I, I I read everything that comes in. So if you have a suggestion on a new guest or if you want to come on the show, please reach out. We'll bring you on the show. It's, it's We're growing a very special community here of like-minded people, and it's been a lot of fun. So please reach out. Tell us how, what you think. As always, the cover art and music for the Team Player Podcast are provided by two of my former players. The cover art is by Kaiser St. Cyr. And our intro and exit music is One More Good Enough from Avrion's self-titled debut album, you can find his music on all platforms by searching for Avrion. That's A-V-R-I-O-N. Keith Johnston, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, James. This has been fun. Yes, sir. And thank you so much to all the team players out there for your support. And we'll catch you all down the road. It always feel like I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my 
my mind and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough, but I need one more boy and one more line. Record the track just one more time. My family think I bumped my head, lost my mind and sharing them. I'm just fine, I'm good enough. But you be told I need some therapy. Initially, ain't do it voluntarily, but now I got a legacy. 